And hailing frequencies are open. Welcome back, everybody, to Clear Skies, our Star Trek Adventures live play that we are now doing remotely because the world is falling apart. Yay! Hi, everybody. We're starting on a positive note tonight. The crew is burning in space. And um, sorry, it's just they're all on mute, so I have full control over what's being said right now. Eric, ah, there you go. I don't yeah. have to be here. <laughs> we don't have to be on your brain. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're uh, jumping back into our campaign tonight uh, for the second time in a row, which is uh, a nice little streak for us. <laughs> um, before we uh, before we start off and get things underway, do we have any standard announcements that we wanted to go over? Do you guys have anything? Uh, I'm always looking at the library bards when I ask this question. Wow, look how slow they are. They didn't even do the thing. We got it. We got it. We had to you, confirm yeah. what time things were before we said things out loud. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, uh, tomorrow and on Tuesdays, I stream Loom, which is a fantastic old point-and-click adventure game. It's not old. It's beautiful. It's classic. Uh, and Mondays, I normally do Chill Animal Crossing, and that's all on my personal channel uh, at Xanderific with two R's, one F. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be joining the Double Clicks for their uh, Jackbox games. Yes, at 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, you might want to follow their socials to find out more information on that. And then Wednesday night on Q Times from 5 to 7, you can find me on Denver by Night. We just had our first episode this past Wednesday, and I've kept the fangs in that entire time because it made me feel like a McCrell. It made me feel uncomfortable. Wait, say Denver by Night one more time. Denver by Night. Ooh. <laughs> we awesome. have the mood lighting. Xander. <laughs> Xander, we're gonna have to do some some joint. I've already talked to Joe about this, but we're gonna have to do some joint streaming. Yes, like, please. And, and and of course, what I mean is smoking joints and streaming, and then I say yes to every sense of the uh, word. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting angry. my own my I'm getting my own streaming space, so I might be able to stream probably the same time as you, and yeah. I'll be like, you have to choose which bard do you want to follow. So no, as many of us that we can get, we should get Star Trek Bridge Commander and play that. That would be a lot I'm of fun. Do that. Oh, I want to do that so bad. Wouldn't that be cool? We should totally do that. That'd be a good stream. I have fun. to do up my setup, but in case people didn't know, I've also started streaming again Yay. on Fridays. Give us an announcement so. real quick, Aki. What are you up to? Sure. So I do. Uh, I currently don't have a setup that is uh, capable of doing both gaming and streaming at the same time, but I do have a just chatting stream every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time called Aki Talkies and Tea. Um, and yeah, we, we have snacks and we have tea and we talk to each other for like an hour or so. And it's really nice because it gets me out of bed on Friday when I would otherwise probably just lounge around doing nothing. Yep. So there we go. <laughs> nice. Um, anybody else have any other announcements that they want to go over? I do. Yeah, Gina, what's up? And uh, uh, this was this my first one. <laughs> it's not really an announcement. I just wanted to say that tomorrow's my mom's birthday. So if everyone could go on Twitter and wish her a happy birthday tomorrow, Kim I would really Vivo. appreciate that. Yeah, Kim I'm sure her, her uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, I'm sure her, her Twitter will go through chat. She's way more active on Twitter than I am, so she will see them. All right, Ox Crew, you have a mission. Tomorrow, set this up. Tomorrow on Twitter, we are going to inundate Kim DeVivo with birthday wishes. And like Mama DeVivo. Yeah. Mama DeVivo is gonna get let's let's just shower like a deluge of happy birthday messages. And and post I would I would say post funny gifts, particularly cat gifts, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Gina? Or does it matter? 
Cat gifts would work. I think cat gifts are a good default. Cat, cat gifts would work. And yeah. yeah. All the cute animals. Yes. Any cute memes. She, they're, they're her jam. All right. Cool. We have a mission. All right. So um, does anybody else have any other announcements before we jump into the game tonight? Yes. The cute little sea urchin in the front row. Oh, you'll suffer for that one. <laughs> I will never, I will never, ever pass up an opportunity to quote the movie Hook. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, I'm prepared for all eventualities. I have 144 <laughs> pencils tonight and a mute button, and I'm not afraid to use any of them. <laughs> oh, God. I'm excited. All right. Well, then, without further ado, folks, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. Welcome back to Clear Skies, everybody. If you are wondering where Ravity is, uh, Ravity, uh, just uh, the last we saw Ravity, she was strapping a sword to her back, a helmet on her head, and she was throwing herself into the mouth of the Sarlacc. And uh, we haven't seen her since, but we did notice that the Sarlacc was dead. So if I had to guess, she's carving her way out of it right now. If I had to guess, if I had to venture a guess, knowing Ravity. Or, I mean, that takes a bit of time, though, so we shouldn't expect to see her this episode. We might see her in future. Time. With the sword, though, you know? Like, what was she thinking? Like, I mean, but here's the thing. She's got the, like, she's got the lat strength for it, and that's really true. what you need when you're carving. I think Rave can summon the power of Giggle, too. Like, she gets really happy when she's doing something violent, you know? And, uh, and so that's probably... She's also a garbage fire, so she might be just burning her way out. That's true. She could that just be... That checks out. Yeah. Wow, Sarlacc did not see that one coming. <laughs> We're gonna get a smoked meat dinner after this. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, um, love smoked Sarlacc. Does it like take us as long to, of... does it take us as long to digest Sarlacc as it takes, uh, takes for the Sarlacc to digest us though, is the question. Well, Ray will we'll help us find out. We'll ask our science officer when she's back. Um, so, Back to another completely different property. <laughs> um, when last we left off, the USS Ross was in synchronous orbit with the planet 
Jataren. Jataren is a very large planet, a, roughly the size of Saturn, just shy of the, of the size of Saturn. So a huge effing planet, class M, with some unusual qualities. Um, one of them being that the planet seems to exhibit uh, different sorts of uh, sort of biological zoning across the hemispheres. Specifically, the Western hemisphere seems to be rather empty, devoid of all life, even microbial. It seems to be a just complete wasteland, a dead zone for all life. On the other hand, the Eastern hemisphere boasts a bustling multi-colonial uh, society that has grafted up all over the, uh, the continents that exist. Um, the Jashashian have made their home here for thousands and thousands of years, and the species has evolved to the point where they have achieved warp drive. Um, as a post-warp drive society, a lot of their technology seems somewhat antiquated, but they are at least they have at least enough technology to create deep space uh, space stations, which allowed them to study a, if you remember, a particle fountain, which is an anomaly in Star Trek that is very mysterious. Not a lot known about them, except for the fact that they are incredibly volatile and that they have claimed 12 Federation starships in the Starfleet's attempt to study the particle fountains. No one knows where or they come from or why, except for just recently, the USS Ross was able to uncover evidence that they erupt from subspace and that this race, the Jashashia, whom they, dis whom they rescued, apparently have the technology, the sensor technology, to be able to predict where and when these particle fountains are going to form in an approximation, close enough in accuracy that you can actually plan for one, which is how they ended up building a station out in the middle of deep space, well far away from where a particle fountain appeared. Um, this became a first contact mission which, as the Federation will constantly tell its officers, is among the most dangerous missions that the Federation can take. This is the reason why is because you're an incredibly vulnerable position. The Federation is known for its outreach, for its diplomacy, and for welcoming new uh, warp-capable societies into, galact into the galactic society as a whole. As a result, sometimes they can be unpredictable. You don't know when you're going to stumble into a cultural faux pas. You don't know if you're going to meet a race that appears to be kind and turns out to uh, adore violence. You just don't know until you start really making a gradual contact and then eventually establish diplomatic relations eventually. Um, in the case of where we are in the timeline of Trek at this moment, this is post-Dominion War. And the Federation apparently has not changed its position from when it was last mentioned in Star Trek Insurrection, which is, of course, the Federation needs resources and allies during the reconstruction from the Dominion War. Therefore, first contact missions, if they are deemed acceptable, are being accelerated. Um, it's entirely, it's entirely, it's, it's become a new normal that a warp-capable race can be invited into the Federation after only a year after first contact, which previously is unheard of. It usually takes an application and a society multiple years to be accepted into the Federation. However, the Federation Council has adapted a much more aggressive and friendlier aspect to welcoming new species into the United Federation of Planets. And in some ways, it's actually paid off. But the Federation is aware that one day, with this kind of aggression, diplo aggressive diplomacy, it's going to backfire on them. So they have continuously encouraged everyone to be very cautious 
which is what they told the crew of the USS Ross. However, the Ross was ordered to go in and establish first contact diplomatic relations to assess the planet and its culture, learn as much as they could, and report back to Starfleet with its findings. Um, what you've all discovered is this sensor technology can actually have applications beyond just detecting particle fountains. This sensor technology might be instrumental into counterintelligence application, as well as being able to detect cloaked vessels. Um, now, the Federation, as you all know, already have the capacity to detect cloaked vessels with, through sensor nets. But for starships to be able to actively do it in the field, that's a whole other matter altogether. And this would be tremendous for the Federation. So the Federation has, has been expressing a lot of interest. And so far, first contact is going quite well. The Jashashia race seems to be a very affable race. At least their high regent is. Um, their high regent, which is a man named Alozaz Kiel, apparently the leader of the Jashashia people, uh, welcomed the crew of the USS Ross with open arms, excitement, wonderment, and great hospitality. He's a complete different type of character from Dr. Yugos, who was actually the lead of the science team you all rescued at the station when you were saving it from the Gorn. Dr. Yugos is definitely curious, but a little more cautious, a little more, well, scientific about things. Um, High Regent uh, Keel, however, is thrilled to be meeting humanoid species that are not among his own. Y'all are the first time this species has had direct contact with extraterrestrial life, or however you would put it in this particular case, but aliens, essentially. Um, and the High Regent is absolutely thrilled. You were all invited down for what would essentially be a sort of like a very subtle, very low-key state dinner. Um, only the High Regent is in attendance. If there's any other members of the government, none of them have been invited. This is just the High Regent and his personal guard, along with the Dr. Yugos. Um, his reasoning behind this is he just wants to make sure he doesn't terrify the populace, and he wants to actually make sure he gets a first impression of you all uh, beforehand, before approaching the government with this. Um, that seems to be going pretty well. You were all being led into a dining hall. Now, if you all remember, this planet is also known for its crystal-like formations and these mountains that can be seen from space, actually giving sections of this planet a luminescent glow as the sunlight strikes it. Um, it's quite majestic looking, even from the upper atmosphere. It kind of gives the planet on occasion, especially during like a sunset, it gives it this sort of ambient glow off on the other sides of the hemisphere. Um, it seems to have informed the the evolution of the Jashashia people in general. On top of uh, on top of uh, apparently most of them being friendly from the looks of it, it looks like their culture and their art has all grown up around not only crafting and building with this crystal-like uh, material, but also like incorporating it into their structures, into their architecture. Um, they use it to magnify a lot of their art. As you all saw when you beamed in, they were able to project these sort of, uh, these, these sort of almost tactile optical illusions uh, of magnifying all of these art pieces of people from their history. And you've learned a little bit about their mythology. As you were all sitting down to enjoy yourselves, your first state dinner is your first contact. Commander Exio, um, in command of the USS Ross in orbit, 
enjoying what would appear to have been a quiet moment after a very successful initiation of first contact. Sensors detected coming across the horizon, leaving the planet's magnetosphere, a large ship, scale seven, precisely one scale larger than the USS Ross, which would put it somewhere in the vicinity of essentially the same scale as a Romulan warbird, about the same size, pretty damn big. Um, as the computer was analyzing the oncoming ship, your helms officer, Vren, because Vren actually has a trait, uh, Starship's expert, can actually identify ships upon sight. And even a rare ship such as this, Vren was able to identify it immediately and identified it as a Tholian dreadnought. Specifically, uh, the United Federation of Planets has classified it as a Tarantula-class uh, dreadnought. They have been seen once before. They are exceedingly rare. Starfleet has no intelligence on what they are capable of doing. They have no intelligence on their weaponry. The Tholians are known for being incredibly xenophobic and very secretive. They have been a huge pain in the ass for Starfleet ever since they've been encountered. But what you all know about the Tholians is this. They are not inherently violent. They are not a shoot first, ask questions later. They typically like to engage in conversation before they start shooting or doing whatever it is that they're intending on doing. Their presence here in the Shackleton Expanse is shocking to say the least. They are about as far away from the assembly as you can get. They are on the opposite side of the galaxy. The Tholian Assembly is located in the Alpha Quadrant. They are literally on the opposite end of the galaxy. To see a Tholian Dreadnought emerging here in the Shackleton Expanse is a little mind-boggling. And yet, there it is. When last we left off, Commander Exio had just called for yellow alert, contacted Captain Sol, and let them know that there is a Tholian ship in orbit. And that is where we pick up in that moment. All right. I'm going to ask my commander to patch comms through so that my ambassador and I can try to find out what on earth is going... Well, what on Jadaran is going on <laughs> and coordinate with the High Regent to get whatever sort of chief of staff is available to begin uh, assembling a planetary response as a precaution. Yes, Captain. The ambassador um, is on with us. Hello. <laughs> All right. So you've ordered XEO to establish comms with the Tholians, is that correct? To hail yes, them? Yes, hail them. Okay. So why don't we do that first? All right. Uh, Prawl looks at you, XEO, from the tactical station behind the command chair uh, L on, the L on the incline and nods to you and says, patching you through. Before you go, just one quick to the room. Everyone stay calm. Um, interestingly enough, like, Lacat looks over at Vren, and Vren looks cool as ice. He's just sitting there staring at the screen. Um, Lacat looks a little excited. <laughs> as soon as um, you finish your sentence, though, the doors from the turbo lift open, and Tech walks in going, Tholians! <laughs> Oh, okay. oh, oh, we knew. Oh, we, oh, okay. And he'll go over and sit down at the engineering console. <laughs> uh, you slide into the engineering Breathe. station. Breathe. back towards the screen. <laughs> Breathe. 
One more time. Okay. Slower. We're fighting. Through the nose. Yeah. Gross. I'll start at the console. Make the call. Okay. Prawl nods as your Bolian freaks out about the Tholians. Um, there's a chirping sound, and you hear an acknowledgement beep, and Prawl says, they're coming through. Um, no visual, though, Cap uh, Commander. Just audio only. Um, there's a moment, and then for a split second before the Universal Translator picks it up, there is an ear-shattering screeching sound that immediately emanates over the bridge. It's not painful, but um, Exio, you can tell from all the biological life forms around you that it's very uncomfortable, and you're detecting a decibel range that's way higher than most humanoid species are willing to accept. Your program is just... In, you're getting you're getting this like sound buffeting, and your program is basically just acknowledging, oh, this is going to hurt their ears. Um, My program peaks uh, in the soundbar and adjusts accordingly. <laughs> right. The screech lasts for maybe about a second and a half before the Universal Translator immediately takes over, and you hear the computer speaking on behalf of the Tholian commander that is now talking to you. Um, and in sort of this monotone, computerized voice, you hear, Federation vessel. This is the Ketic This is the Ketikus. Federation murderers will not be accepted in the vicinity of this planet. You have exactly 20 minutes to leave, or you will be casualties of the Tholian Assembly. Prawl also looks down at you with sort of the same glance. <laughs> Right, that was just me talking to myself. Um, <laughs> Federation murderers, can you repeat that one more time? It broke up a little bit. I was trying sure. to catch some of it. Sure, sure, sure. He Federation said, murderers. Uh, you heard the voice say, Federation murderers. This is the Ketikis. And actually introduces himself, I should add that. Commander Vosrax of the Tholian Assembly. You have 20 minutes to break orbit and leave this space, or you will become the latest casualties of the Tholian Assembly. Um, this is the executive officer, Exio, of the USS Ross. You seem to be quite far from your homeworld. We are just passing through. There's a long moment of silence, and Prawl, you see Prawl glance down at the comm station to make sure that they're still connected. He says, the message was received, Commander. No reply. Are you protecting this homeworld, uh, Captain Volsrak? There's an alert chirp, and you see Prawl glance down at the at the con again. And says Captain or Commander, they're raising shields. They're altering course. Tholian vessel to intercept in two minutes. They're changing course towards us. That's correct, Commander. 
Captain, please advise. I look to the High Regent. The High Regent is glancing back at you with this sort of confused look on his face and says, is something happening? Have you observed any recent unusual phenomena prior to our arrival by chance? He gets the words, well, actually, and then the doors to the of this chamber come smashing open. It's enough to make everyone in this room jump, including the guards. But as the doors come smashing open, you see storming into the room, it looks like another of the Jashashia race in this sort of fine black suit that's well fitted. A woman comes stomping into this room. She looks like, she looks very regal. Um, maybe slightly middle-aged, that beautiful, like, glossy mirror-like jet black hair that the Jashashia have. Hers are pulled out into a row of, looks like like a quad ponytail kind of coming off to the side, almost ritualistically from the looks of it. And you can also see a bit of the shave on the side of her head, denoting multiple tattoos down the sides of her face, denoting her accomplishments. But she's wearing, like, a high black collar, and from head to toe, including black gloves, she is just in full black. There doesn't seem to be any seams on her clothes at all either. It's just finely crafted, very like executive looking. But the expression on her face is not as cool as her outfit because she comes storming in with two guards flanking her, the nameless coming up behind her with weapons, just not at the draw, but at the ready. And she says, High Regent, I must protest. And as she throws these doors open, interrupting this as the High Regent jumps out of his chair with a shocked look on his face, as everyone else reacts, she spots all of you and freezes dead in her tracks. And she just goes, Gods, you're real. Hi, Regent. What is this? And the High Regent looks at you, Commander Saul, uh, Captain Saul, and just says, <laughs> My friends, uh, kind of motions to all of you and says, this is my defense minister, Kea Nobel. Uh, Nobel. Uh, she is interrupting us. Why? <laughs> the defense minister says, Why? Who are these creatures? Hi, Regent. What is this? Are you? Good. You're exactly the person we need here right now. I was hoping that we would have the opportunity to coordinate with someone such as you, there is a secondary party in orbit over you of motivations yet to be determined. I'm working with my ship as well. There is a lot going on, and yes, I will need you to put aside the very strangeness and whatever, the green of it all, and focus. Have you had any unusual phenomena in your system in the past week or so. Anything that would justify the presence of this other party now? Nobal says, other? And the High Regent says, please, please, let me answer the captain's question. Nobal just says, captain, please. <clears throat> captain Saul, yes. Uh, to answer your question, um, we have had a few interesting things developing these past few months. 
Uh, we have detected the possibility. And as he's saying this, the high regent steps forward and says, high regent, I'm, or the, the, the defense minister, she steps forward and says, high regent, I must protest. You have no right to be giving state secret information to these aliens, these outsiders. We don't even know who they are or why they're here. The high regent raises his hand and says, we do know why they're here. They're here on a mission of diplomacy. How can you say that? The anomalies that have been taking place over the past six months, and then the appearance of these creatures. Not to mention, we've already detected alien craft in our atmosphere over the past three weeks. We know that they have something to do with it. You are selling us out. Is this part of your re-election campaign? That's enough. He stands up and edges over to the side of the table and says, sit down and listen to what they have to say. They're here to help, and we might be able to ask for certain assistances for problems that have been developing lately, and I was going to be getting to that before your outburst. She glances- Unfortunately, that has accelerated the timetable. We, my ship is under threat from whatever party is causing this anomaly, and I need to know as much as soon as possible to protect my people. She, she, Captain Sol, you get the impression as she narrows her eyes at you and glances over at the ambassador and then glances at McCrell and her eyes just land on McCrell and kind of just hover there for a moment. And there's this, it's not disgust, it's just this sort of immediate, like, uh, mild horror and and some you, you get you get this impression of just like revulsion um what am i getting off her what's that what am i getting off her she she's frightened of you all um you're definitely you're definitely getting feelings of fear but you're also getting of course that wonderful emotion that fear typically turns into particularly when you're someone who's used to being in power um she is furious there is anger swelling inside of her she clearly thinks all of you are a dangerous threat ambassador she's reacting from a place like a cornered animal um and the last bit of emotion you're getting is she's not sure how to feel about the high regent right now you feel a sense of confusion coming from her um uh is going to place their hands on the table where she can see them and then just sit there very quietly. Okay. There's a moment where she seems to take in what you said, Captain Sull, and then she, her shoulders sink back a bit and she raises her chin and just says, Hi, Regent, I request to speak to you privately. And the High Regent says, I'm sure there will be time for that, but it sounds to me like the Captain has something rather important to tell us right now. Uh, judging from the sound of it, something immediately... Uh, something immediately, is that correct? Like, is it, we're in a bit of a danger, is what it sounded like. Is, is that accurate, Captain? And motions to you, Sam. Commander... They gave you how much time to intercept? 20 minutes. Uh, two minutes. Sorry, two minutes. Oh, I... Th I what? They, I thought they you gave, said 20. They, 
They gave you 20 minutes to leave orbit and they're two minutes away from intercepting you. Ah, that is different information. I would yeah. like to also, uh, when it, what, uh, yes. Uh, um, they will be on us in two minutes, Captain. Are we still on with them, Vren? Yes, Commander. Captain Vo um, Captain Vosrax, I repeat, we are not in violation. We were unaware of your territory here. The intent was unnecessary. Again, there is no intention against you. Our business is not with your ship. Um, is there any reaction? Yeah, go ahead and make a command presence roll. And I'll set the difficulty of this at three. You are talking to an incredibly xenophobic species that's highly distrusting of humanoids. We have yes, six momentum. My main goal is de-escalation. Is uh, it? Okay. Yeah. Yes! Mm -hmm. uh, six momentum up right now. If you want to take one for a focus from me, uh, you're welcome to. Uh, I think you already I, have, I command have a command five. focus. Yeah. All right, go for it. Um, uh, uh, so you want an extra die? Yes, I do. Um, did you say that it was a contr uh, control command what, presence? Control command. Command, command presence. presence. Thank you. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm buying that die. Okay, you're gonna buy the die. All right. You can buy more than one if you need to. We're full up. It's true. You guys are maxed out. Gonna buy a second. Buy a second one? Okay, cool. All right, we're down to three. Good call. Let's see how Exio did. Two successes. You needed three. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was three rolls that were one above my total. Oh no, God, that's that hurts. That's 313s. That hurts. Um, okay, so Prawl does note as they're closing in, there's no response again. Prawl, you, up at the station, Prawl says, one minute, 20 seconds away from intercept. Captain, they still have not powered their weapons. It is worth noting that their weapon systems are still offline. Hold. Chief Tech. Oh, well, so while the uh, sort of negotiations are going on, uh, at the engineering station, Tech is going to do his own scan as, like, sort of covertly as he can. Uh, he's trying to detect any sort of abnormal particles around this dreadnought, specifically, like, chroniton particles, which would explain sort of, like, a weird anomaly of this dreadnought being in this place. That's sure. sort of what I'm scanning for. And we sure. found some previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were scanning that other. <laughs> um, LeCat can help you with this. Yes, please. So why don't you take an assist from LeCat? She is going to be yeah. helping you at the science station. Great. Um, so I'll, like, I'll do like a message on the consoles. So we're just like text chatting with each other. Uh, she swivels back and looks at you from across the bridge and says, okay. And uh, yeah, I got this. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Um, all right, so go ahead and make your computer sensors check. This is going to be, yeah, this will be computer sensors. 
So for computer science, rather. I'm sorry, blah, 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 sensor science. You mean, um, is the ship helping as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an assist from the USS Ross. You okay. mean control science. So for tech, my role is going to be control science, but for the ship, it's going to be sensors. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking at a ship sheet right now. <laughs> yes, it's control. That's correct. It's con- It'll be, well, if you're scanning a ship, it's technically it's reason science. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it'd be reason science, uh, and then Ross is going to roll sensors uh, science, and then I have this one die here for our Cardassian. Uh, what's the difficulty? Ooh, and she rolls a crit. So if you succeed, you're in good shape. Um, the the difficulty is two. Great. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll spend one for an extra die. Okay. And it was control science. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. So you, you didn't roll your extra one. Oh. Oh my god. Did you oh, roll a complication? I, maybe two of them. Two complications. Let me take a picture of that first. In that case, I'm going to activate the USS the USS Ross's trait. Wait, wait, wait. I can, I can do this. I have born near a warp core, so I, I get to ignore uh, critical failures. <laughs> okay. So you're not going to suffer complicated. Oh, you get to reroll those. Okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, phew. All right. So we've got two successes. Three. <laughs> two. Oh, was that was. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. four total. How many did the Ross roll? Oh, uh, we haven't done that yet. Okay. So sensors, science. Uh, sensors, science. This would be sensor science. Yeah. This is just to see. None? Okay, so Lacat helps you here with a critical success. So that's two, you got two, so four total. You beat the difficulty by two, you're gonna gain back two momentum. And you'll have some extra for any information spins you want. Um, you're at five momentum, is that right? Four. Four momentum, okay, everyone's at four momentum. All right, um, as you initiate your scan, you actually hear Prawl at the security stations uh, announcing that the sh- they're actually returning scans. So they're scanning the Ross as well. The two of you are basically checking each other out getting a sense of who they're facing off against. So um, since specifically you were looking for carnitone particles, I'll give you that. And if since you successfully scanned as well, if you want to obtain any other information, don't forget to use those obtained information spins. Um, uh, you are detecting very, very um, mild. I mean, it, it, there are there is the presence of chroniton particles. The presence is incredibly low. It's um, I would say less than a percent in that sort of in that sort of area of like per per particle scanned. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. the presence is definitely there, which kind of is inconclusive. Right. Um, that because ships will attract chroniton particles as they fly through warp. It just happens. So there's yeah. nothing elevated about the chroniton particles that you are detecting um, that would indicate that there is anything unnatural about what you're detecting. Um, for the scans and like how deeply they sort of penetrate within the the other ship, d- can I tell whether this is uh, these particles are detected outside the ship in general, or does uh-huh. it uh, does it uh, pertain to the creatures inside as well? Like you can see, you know. Um, I mean? you're, so I I would say if you're if you're wanting to do a deeper scan into the vessel itself and scan the life forms inside, that's probably going to be an obtained information check. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and obtain information spend. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you that the particles that you have detected are on the hull of the ship. 
on the hull of the ship. Yeah. Chroniton particles are rare on starships, but they do happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, am I able to... Okay, so I did did a, a scan on the ship. Am I able to determine um, sort of the degradation of the the materials that the ship is made out of to sort of determine an age of like how it, does this yes. seem it belongs in the current era? You could get an you well you wouldn't be able to tell if it belongs sure. in the current era, but you'd get an idea of how long of like how like newly constructed the ship is for sure. Yeah, you can get an approximation. Sure. Okay, so for that, it's an obtain information spend. Um, this ship was probably constructed oh, wait, wait. approximately in the last maybe possibly 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, my last one, I'm going to do, uh, this might be a stretch, but I'm looking at the, the makeup of the Tholian vessel and it's sort of like, if I understand it correctly, it's sort of like crystalline, right? No, it's not crystalline. But the Tholians um, themselves are. The Tholian life forms are silicon-based, so they are crystal-like, yes. I want to see start the process of the computer going through um, the samples from this homeworld's uh, crystalline structures and the Tholians and cross-referencing them to see if there's any sort of match or ancestry or some sort of connection. Sure. Go ahead and make that spend. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're down to three momentum total. There are some interesting similarities. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing outright conclusive to determine that they would be in any way related. However, it, this is one of the fascinating things about Tholian is their biology is so alien to so many of the humanoid species that when you come across silica-based life forms like the Tholians, um, when you encounter crystal structures like this, there are similarities between the inert and the biological, which is mm -hmm. extraordinary. But as you are making those comparisons, um, you, you do see some baseline similarities between just this, the structure. Cool. That's my turn. Okay. They are scanning you. Um, Prawl says their scan is complete. They're still on approach, Commander. Well, um, mute transmission. Oh, they can't hear you guys. Only when you call right. out to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it was just like an open channel at the moment. Oh, no, no, um, no. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Uh, great. Um, well, I imagine that their advance is just an intimidation tactic, as the lands are incredibly territorial, and we have seemed to have invaded in some space they believe is theirs. Um, so we, I still believe we have the timeline of 20 minutes as we were given. So everyone start doing your jobs very, very quickly. Um, Prawl immediately alerts all decks to go to battle stations. Um, Thank you, Prawl. But it's not, an, it's not considered a red alert. He doesn't no. call for a red alert. Weapons do not go online. I don't want to agitate anything while they are scanning. Yeah. Since it's yellow alert, defense fields have been activated anyway. A lot of the crew um, across the ship already got the indication to get ready for a throwdown. Um, so the ship is starting to scramble as uh, Prawl basically sends out notice to all the security teams and tactical teams on the ship to uh, prepare for red alert, essentially. Um, so um, people are scrambling back down on the planet. Um, this is only seconds have passed. You get the impression as she nears the edge of the table that the defense minister is not going to back down. 
and she puts her fingertips on the edge of the table and says, Hi, Regent, I'm sorry, but I must insist. I would request to speak to the leader of my people in private without the presence of these alien creatures. Now, please. And the High Regent just says, Would you please excuse us? I, I apologize. You may remain here. We will step out. Understood. Thank you for your graciousness. Defense Minister, I will see you in the next room. And he rises from his chair. Um, the guards do not follow them into the next room. They remain with you all. And uh, they step out. The doors close. And you are all in this chamber by yourselves for a moment. She is very frightened of us, Captain. Understandable. I'm... It's the most rational response possible. We just don't really have time for it now, do we? No, I'm afraid we don't, but unfortunately I'm not entirely sure there's much that we can do about it other than to continue to insist that we're here very much for their protection as much as we are for our own. Well, I will entrust you with getting her to trust us because we need to know about these anomalous readings as soon as possible. We need to know why Tholians from the other side of the galaxy somehow feel we're on their turf and these people need protecting from us. They're not giving us their side of the story, so we have to get it from them. Understood, Captain. I will endeavor to do my very best to get the information that we need as quickly as possible. I don't think I've ever uh, quite had to do it in the crunch of 20 minutes, but there we are. High stakes speed diplomacy. Mm. Ambassador, you would know from your training, real quick, and then I'll let you jump in here, Bonnie. Um, but just to give you, it's just like a, a, a narrative note for you, uh, Majanil, is that Tholians are notorious for being one of the most difficult races to negotiate with. Um, a, a, their, their thinking, the way they view uh, the Federation, and the way they interact with other species not to mention that Tholians constantly change their borders. They decide, they all just decide they own this territory now. And then 20 years later, they will be nowhere in sight. Um, they're very difficult to understand. Um, so that's just a little ambassadorial note because that would definitely be in your training uh, your, <laughs> when you were coming up as an ambassador. Uh, mm -hmm. What were you going to say, McCrawl? Um, I don't feel like I'm... Uh, McCrell's not feeling very useful mm -hmm. uh, in this moment, especially since she feels that she frightened the defense minister by giving her friendly a smile. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so she just has a little napkin out and is putting little th things from the table into the napkin. Um, <laughs> to pushes, Yeah, Olet actually pushes the bento box in her direction. Ah, thank you. You're welcome, and to be perfectly honest, I'm pretty sure you're going to be more useful than you realize. Yes, I I will do whatever you feel is useful, just until someone gets hurt, I might stay out of the talking. <laughs> Ideally, 
we will have no need of you in that particular capacity, Doctor. Here's hoping. Though I think you do yourself a disservice by saying that you don't have quite the charming ability to compensate. Oh, yes. Remember, my bedside was how we put it, not toasty. (laughs) No, it was quite warm. And if you'll recall, if there's one thing we know about Polians, it's that they like to be toasty. Yeah. Who better suited then than you? Ha. Very true. I have a box. (laughs) We need to find out what they are doing and... Perhaps the people of this planet can convince them to back off if they're, if these Tholians really believe they are acting in the interest of this place. Can I feel I through the door? You can't, it's not like you can lock onto their feelings, but you can get a general sense of the feelings in the area, yes. Um, question, can lot- I hear anything through the door? Can you hear anything through the door? Um, if you want to burn a point of momentum for Im- information spend, I might give you a little bit. I could probably hear them. Is that useful to any of you? Do you have a trait that actually allows you to hear? I have acute sense of sight, smell, and hearing. And then one yes. Skills, one of my skills is keen hearing. <laughs> Whenever I attempt to detect faint sounds, listen <laughs> in on conversations, distinguish tones, or anything like that, uh, or other tax, tasks that involves my sense of hearing, I gain a bonus d20 if it's a roll. It's a roll. <laughs> yeah! Obscure traits for the win! I will be useful. Give me one moment. <laughs> what um, am I rolling? Let's make that an insight. I would say, this, this might sound interesting to you, but I would say that's an insight command roll. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a uh, focus in this? I do not have a focus in keen hearing. So maybe if you spend a momentum, you can use my command five and my clandestine skills. Oh, what? What? How? What do I do? How? The captain uh, is buffing you. If well, you do a momentum spend, I also I can basically show five. you how to eavesdrop better. Got it. Okay. Uh, so you'll be rolling command five. Uh, instead yep. of whatever your command stat is, and you'll be rolling yeah. as if you have a focus. So then I only get one bonus die, not two. Although I will say that in, in, just to preserve narrative, like in this particular case, it doesn't always have to translate to Sam teaching you how to do something better or telling you how to do something better. It, it, if this was the television series, it would be probably something really subtle. Like if this was Captain Archer looking over at Trip, probably just giving Trip a nod and nodding to the door, that would be enough, I think, narratively for that good flavor because. Soul knows what you're capable of after months of sailing with you and the Ross anyway. So I think that would be how that kind of manifests. Just giving like a quick nod over to the, like, in like a smooth ass style of Soul, just knowing their crew. Slide <laughs> the box to the end of the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what is the difficulty? So the range, taking the range into account, taking the doors into account, and then taking the range that would there into account, I'll set the difficulty at three. Okay. Should I buy another die? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it. Do it. What's our momentum at, by the way, everyone? One. Cool! Woo! 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 Okay. 
I'm having Lark Sage flashbacks right now. Uh-huh. I got one, two, three, four, five successes. Including okay. the That's including so, a natural crit. <laughs> so gain two momentum off of that. So y'all are up to three now. Um, I can hear everything. So <laughs> you you give you see Saul give you a nod from the cap get a nod from the captain. And as you're sliding that box over to the table, those who are watching McCrell just see one of those large fuzzy ears just pivot slightly. The way cats do when one ear is picking up something, just kind of like turns a little in the direction of the door. Um McCrell, you hear the High Regent has apparently lost his temper because he's shouting down the hallway at the defense minister and explaining um, explain to the defense minister that he's had enough of her paranoia. The defense minister has countered with it's her job to see to the safety of the people of Jashashia and these aliens are not to be trusted. You hear a couple of other odd mentions through the conversation. Um, some key moments that kind of pique your interest. You hear mention of the comet. And that's when the Ross transforms into a huge robot with multiple cupcake batter guns on both arms. What do you do? Oh, good, Captain? I was hoping for the cupcakes. All right, All right. frost them. Clearly we have glitter and sprinkle cannons at the friggin' ready. <laughs> Fire at will, Commander. All right, so welcome back everybody. Sorry about that network went down. We're back up and streaming again. We understood where we left off when uh, McCrell was overhearing uh, voices talking about the comet. So we'll jump back right where we left off. Thank you so much for all your patience. Um, here we go. So McCrell, you were listening. Um, you had just made a very successful check. You banked, if I remember correctly, two momentum off of a, their successes, off of a five success roll. You're hearing those raised voices in the next room. Um, and it sounds like the defense minister and the high regent are just going at each other. Um, you do hear some mentions uh, of of the defense minister, uh, it sounds like she's like talking in this harsh whisper, like really trying to drive home a point. And then you hear the word comet brought up. Um, on top of hearing the word comet, you also um, you are also noticing that uh, the the high region apparently is losing his temper as well. You hear mention of tectonic activity and earthquakes. You heard that brought up as well. And then you hear the uh, the high regent mention, yes, I was going to ask them. And then you hear the defense minister counter with, but this other ship that they're claiming in orbit is probably one of theirs. And the high regent says, that's ridiculous. They only just arrived. They're just, they said they're in danger. This is all a ruse, don't you see? This is an invasion, high regent. And you're blind to that. These are the same people that have been around for the past few months, the same ships we've been detecting. This is all calculated. You are leading us into the arms of an invader. And the high regent says, enough, and like cuts her off. And then the voices go down into a din again. You can hear just like the low, harsh rumblings. Um, and then it gets quiet and you hear the distance like stomping footsteps. So obviously there are guards still in the room. So I'm gonna go up to the captain by the food. I'll be like, captain. And I'm gonna pick up one of the little food balls on the okay. like do you know what this reminds me of captain <laughs> that comet that we passed on the way to the planet that could be important and then i'm gonna look for other food clues that i can use 
Oh, yes. do you, you see this gravy boat? <laughs> it actually kind of looks like a Tholian dreadnought. If you move it to the left, I get the feeling this gravy boat has been here for a lot longer than we suspect. Maybe a couple months hmm? on the table. Is this helping? <laughs> You know, Sorry, wait, let me find delicious, Doctor. Mm. I agree. Your notion of the importance of these foodstuffs is really quite valuable. And do you see how carefully they secure everything to the table? Uh, everything is very sturdy, as if, if someone came and did this really hard, and like, I want to shake the table. Like, everything stays there as if this happens a lot on the planet. Curious. And then I go back to filling the box. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If the guards suspect anything about this unusual conversation, they're not indicating it. They're standing stock still. I'm just still. interested about their food and their culture. <laughs> right, of course, no, of course. And we're yeah, weird aliens. Of oh, course, no. this is, there's no context here at all. You're not acting strangely or, or peculiarly in any way. But really, um, the gravy bowl is very nice. <laughs> yes, exquisite craftsmanship. Uh, okay. So <laughs> with that, with that now uh, being said, <laughs> um, the doors to the room open once more as the High Regent steps into the room. Um, the guards uh, look like they all kind of turn in his direction to find out if uh, if he is in need of anything. After a few moments, um, he stops in front of the in front of his chair and just takes a deep breath. The High Regent looks agitated. Um, not that jovial person that was so prone to laughing when you first met him upon arrival here. Now he is much more tense. Um, you can feel that too, Ambassador. And he just exhales and says, well, given the circumstances of the situation, I guess I have to accelerate some of the questions that I had for all of you. And I'm sure you want me to answer some of the questions you had for me. Um, my defense minister has some valid uh, reservations, I think, about this relationship that apparently is forming right now. And uh, there are some anomalies that have been taking place uh, just off the world. We would maybe like to compare notes and see if you can offer any explanation for this. Yes, immediately. That is exactly what would be most helpful. We are happy to coordinate in any way we can. What do you okay. need and what can you show us? With whom from your department should we liaise? This is clearly exactly what Saul wanted to get to like five minutes ago. Right. And it's at that moment where the defense minister steps back into the room, her boots thudding heavily on this beautiful polished floor, and she says, that would be me. Perfect. Good. What information can we get to you? What, what information you like are you willing to share with us? She folds her hands behind her back and she looks at you with a crooked eyebrow for a moment. And as there's this tense moment, we're going to cut back up to in orbit because we're only we're only a minute and a few 20 seconds away from an intercept. At about this point, the Tholian vessel has pulled into a synchronous orbit near, I would say, long range from the USS Ross. And at this range, you're getting an appreciation for the size of the ship. 
Of course, it's, you've been in the presence of ships that are larger than the Ross before. The Tholian vessel is unusual in to say that, again, it looks like the tip of a spear kind of drawn out into like a large triangular like pyramidic spike in space with these rotating yellow like laser grids that kind of like slowly spin across its body. Um, the propulsion system in the back also glows with this sort of blue yellowish ambient glow. Um, from here, you're, this is the closest a Federation vessel has ever been to a Tholian dreadnought. Um, and so the information that Prawl is getting on his scanners is very valuable. Um, Prawl would like to do a tactical scan and brings that up to you, Commander XEO. He just says, Commander, with your permission, I'd like to scan their weapon systems. Are we still sizing each other up? I'm sure they scanned ours. I mean, are they currently still scanning us? Not currently, no, Cap, Commander. Do it as unagitatingly as you possibly can. And at about that point, LaCat speaks up and she says, a nice gentle scan. And Prawl says, you want to help me with that, Lieutenant? And LaCat swivels back in her chair and you hear chirping sounds across her computer console. And Prawl is going to scan. I would like to walk over to the science station and just sort of be a presence there. Okay. Because um, you're um, you're also there, Chief Tech, and right? Yes, I imagine that uh, you tend to get uncomfortable, so I'm going to be there as a sort of structure of you know command and 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 security in the sense of emotional security for you. And okay. also a reminder to uh, uh, oh uh, no, uh, Chief Tech said that he was at the science station with LeCat when they were doing the scans. Before. Oh, yeah. so, before, um, I imagine that they were still there as they were yeah, standing. Yeah, stations um, on the side of the bridge. Um, so yes, uh, that's that's in the vicinity of LeCat. It's not the same space. LeCat has her own console at the front of the bridge, and then off to her side are the engineering life supports and science stations. So yeah. Um, okay, right. then I'll position myself between the two as a okay. pillar of staying calm on both the excited and unexcited fronts. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> You're sort of the counterbalance to Sam right now. <laughs> the excited and not excited fronts. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Ooh, good for you, Prawl. All right. Let me roll for the cat. Who's and doing ship roll? If you want to roll for the ship, yeah, I need a sensor science check. I got it. Actually, I'm sorry. Make this a sensor security check specifically. Got it. Um, Tell me what you get. It, right, since this is technically two NPCs and they're helping each other, does does it does an assist from a third party who isn't being NPC right now a thing? Uh, no, not really. Okay, just wanted to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's technically a PC being run by the GM at the moment, but yeah. exactly, which is yeah. Kind of, but yeah, since it was kind of a gray area, I wanted to. Yeah, to... totally, totally, totally. What'd you get, Xander? Or uh, who Ross. What's that? Nothing for Ross? It's okay. You still succeeded. Gain one momentum. Um, <clears throat> Prawl just glances at it. Four momentum total for everybody. Um, 
Brawl's face shifts a little bit as he's reading the tactical readouts and he says, it's hard to tell, Commander, but it looks like they do have a powerful weapons array of some kind. That's to be expected. Um, and I want to look down um, at Tech and Lacat um, with as little alarm in my voice as possible. Uh, I'm trying to be, you know, sort of easy breezy, beautiful captain um, tendencies. Okay. I'm taking. I'm taking note from. I'm trying to sound like Saul as much as possible. Um, okay. Um. Because I don't always have the most calming presence to to Chief Tech. Right. So, um, you literally like I literally adapt. Uh, use my adaptable personality programming to to perfectly match the cadence of the captain. Okay. Um, and um sort of start talking to cat to chief tech yeah <laughs> and um lieutenant commander the cat by very calmly reminding them that um i know we have a possible immediate threat directly in front of us however i would like to kindly and gently remind the two of you that we still have another unknown craft that we might have to deal with. They may not be related, but coincidence seems unlikely. So don't let your fear, um, sorry, just don't let your fear keep your vision narrow-minded. Yes, uh, uh, Commander, uh, I guess we can sort of solve two of those problems in that well, I don't know a lot about Tholian technology and weapons per se, but I know they do some sort of like web where, where they spread out and sort of disable tech and, and communications and things like that. If we can sort of do a wide search of the area for them setting something like that up, it might, you know, also alert us to anything within the area that could be cloaked. Multiple scans, I want to try and mitigate as much as possible to as not to attract more attention from the Tholians and to ease possible some of your immediate discomfort in this scenario. You need multiple ships in order to do a Tholian web tech. And as far as I know, they do not have any cloaking capabilities. So as long as there is only two ships that we are currently possibly aware of, a web is unlikely. But anything that we can possibly do to learn as much as we can from the planet and from us sharing information is the best possible thing that we can do to make this as little painful of a first encounter as possible well uh, commander if i make make a suggestion perhaps we don't make the scan i mean the tholians don't exactly know that we sent out a probe earlier, and if it were to conduct some scans and transmit data back to us, it's perfectly within the parameters. That is an excellent idea. I'll get right on it. Commander to the captain. <laughs> Commander to the captain. And I walk away as a as Orion-esque as I can from the <laughs> science station. Uh, okay. Somehow just looking so a little bit taller. I somehow so grow taller. Yeah. <laughs> I get okay. taller. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, all right. So you're going to hail the captain? Yes. 
All right, cool. So Saul, just as you're getting this question out and she has responded, that would be me. And the two of you have a quick exchange before the next breath is taken. You hear a chirping sound in your calm and Exio coming through. Go for Saul. Oh, you're muted, Gina. Your comms oh, apologies. <laughs> apologies. There are so many buttons and so many communications right now that I'm getting a little <laughs> confused. But, um... I have some interesting data that our very quite brilliant chief of engineering has given us as a beautiful gift. Um, I am hesitant, as you know, the ship is currently um, halted in front of us as they have given their stance and time limit. However, we have given a probe out to the comet. And, I, and, uh, and Chief Tech suggested that we do not do the scan, but if there is any way to us not to agitate them from our ship, but if it was to come from the planet using our probe, might come in handy. Brilliant. Yes, do it. And anything we can pull for comparative emissions from some of those previous scans that probe made should even further refine our data. Uh, and stand by, I'm going to need a data pull sometime very soon. Uh, stand by, anything you need. Know if you need anything more. I'll turn back to the defense minister. The defense minister raises her eyebrow and says, are you finished? You don't trust me. You have every right not to trust me. And we have very little time to build it because there is the danger that you trust me and your trust is misplaced or there's danger that I am telling the truth and you don't trust me and you don't listen. So I'm offering any kind of information and intelligence you're asking for. Think of what you can ask for that will make you trust me because we need it right now. So I'm gonna ask for a command presence role, and I'm actually gonna ask Ambassador Marjanil to assist with this because of everyone in the room, the ambassador has actually also been keeping total cool with your hands on the table and being very like polite and quiet and listening while everyone else is talking. So Ambassador, if you want to assist on this role to sort of enhance the fact that your captain is making a play here, um, I would say make a presence uh, command roll as well. Sure. I'll go ahead and use my, uh, well, I have diplomacy or negotiations as a focus, so. Yeah, so both of those are definitely gonna come into play here. You're kind of like the silver bullet the captain's got in the chamber right now. So this is gonna be super helpful. Oh, is she a werewolf? You said presence <laughs> command? A presence command, yeah, which is also what you're going to be rolling. It's a rare instance where I'm going to allow the same stats being rolled for the same role. So, we uh, are Captain, a team. Well, yeah. So, Captain, if you want to make the roll, the difficulty okay. here is going to be four. All so, right. roll well. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take a point for cautious. Okay. Uh, but I will note for you that a well placed word goes a long way. Nice. Uh, so, I'm going to start with a base auto crit of two. Okay, uh, so, so you're burning will, a value. We have three to start with. Um, oh, and I'm a, uh, and I get it back. Love being a veteran. <laughs> so you're gonna so, use a value. 
So it gives I'm going you to use a value, so that's two. I have one from my ambassador. I have the one I spent from Momentum to start rolling, so I have these money. All right, go ahead. Be careful, you. <laughs> uh, that's five from Sol. Okay. So, so you it's a moment. total of eight. Oh, eight successes. Eight total successes, yes. Okay. So obviously you're going to gain four momentum from that. Uh -huh. <laughs> that puts you us the... over for bonus one uh, for those doing accounting. Okay, great. So you maxed out with a bonus of one, so you can do obtain information spend if you need to. Um, yeah, the combined presence of Ambassador Majanil and Captain Sol in the same room, kind of very calmly, just with the just with the very the way it, it's it's the subtleties of negotiation. As you make your case, there's also the fact that Ambassador Majanil is sitting back there, very much like a haiku poem, and all of that simplicity and subtlety of just calmly with hands on the table, looking non-threateningly and patiently waiting for this woman to finish what she's saying. And then when the captain responds, just leaning in, the, the subtleties of your actions, uh, Ambassador, enhancing what the, the case the captain is making. Um, not to mention the fineries in which you're dressing as an ambassador. Like everything is kind of coming into play in those subtle, subtle social warfare moments where people move their chessboards across the table to make their case. This woman does not look like she brooks any shit from people. And that's definitely the impression you've gotten from her from the moment she's made her presence known. She's either paranoid or she takes her job as defense minister very seriously, or she's both. But for whatever reason, she's a hard nut to crack. And you and the ambassador seem to overcome the initial revulsion she had from a life form that's a little more alien to her than she's used to seeing, Dr. McCrell. Just not used to seeing a cat creature having the fact that there's probably no cats on this planet to even give a basis of reference. So, um... For what it's worth, this one is for some calm. Okay. So she glances at the ambassador. And then she glances back at you, Captain. And then she says, tell me, Captain, does your starship have the capacity to move large objects in space? Large up to a certain size, yes. That's how we towed the space station from the particle fountain. Why? You know about our space station? And at that point, the High Regent raises his hand and says, Defense Minister, this is the crew that rescued our scientists from our research station near the Particle Fountain. They used their technology to tow the entire space station with their starship away from the Particle Fountain. So you see, they can be of use to us. And hopefully we of you, Captain. Um, she says, good, good. My next question is, why have you decided to steer the comet into the path of our planet? Was it not enough for you to simply invade us? Are you after resources, or do you just simply like watching the destruction? Or is this some kind of blackmail? Are you threatening us with a celestial Salta body? Salta Axia, what is the trajectory of that comet right now? 
You're muted, Gina. Um, I look to the uh, person who was sitting at that particular station who would have that immediate information, immediate Le-cat- beam it down. <laughs> Do you have with her wide eyes. or anything, or am I verbally? What's that? Am I having to verbally uh, translate all of the information, or do you have a data pad on you or something that you could show? Uh, I mean, you could basically answer the captain, but um, LeCat will give you the information. As she... it, yeah, just depending on how much information was being given sure, to sure, me. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so LeCat nods to you as she overhears the captain, and you kind of nod to her, giving her the okay. She makes a quick scan. This is going to be a difficulty zero roll. I'm just going to go ahead and scan for her, because this Great. is... Um, conducting a quick scan, yes, indeed, the the comet does seem to be on a trajectory for the the, the planet. For and we didn't uh, have that information prior when we scanned it. No, you just because you didn't scan for it, you the the scan that you guys enacted was literally just to make up the chemical composition. It was it was a class two comet. Like you were just like, oh look, a comet. We see those. Literally every week we travel through space. So it was kind of like, huh, interesting. And and even the Dr. Yugos didn't seem that surprised to see the comet. Um, however, okay. um, cat relays this information. Um, curiously okay. enough, I'm going to give you a, a piece of information that kind of clicks because you've been hearing a lot of the scans and information that have been coming through. Yeah. The comet's path seems to be taking it on a direct trajectory with the Western Hemisphere. That's the popular the Western one? Hemisphere. The Western Hemisphere, the side of the planet that's completely dead. Huh. Okay. Um, Captain, our scans uh, confirmed the reports. The the comet is on a trajectory with the west side of the planet. Uh, get Lacat and the scientists on figuring out relative mineral compositions. Anything where what the impact would be on that half of the planet. Start modeling immediately. LeCat hearing the, the order. LeCat hearing the order nods and says, uh, yeah, I'll get right on that. Um, she swivels out of her chair and rushes over to the science station at the back of the bridge and gets on the comms with the science department immediately. Um, as this is happening at the table, this conversation obviously being heard through the communicator, Dr. Yugos leans forward and says, what? What is this? What is this? And he looks over at the high regent, and the high regent says, we weren't going to tell the general populace just yet, but yes, it would appear that in the past few weeks, the comet has changed its normal trajectory. We didn't want to alarm the public. You know how the religious sector of our civilization would react to this particularly because of the comet's tie-in to our mythologies. Uh, do you, did our scientist here, Dr. Yugos, did he explain to you our mythos about the comet, Captain? Yes, the orphan, the one who was left behind to protect your people, understood. Naturally, what... as I'm sure you can hear, we did not know that this was happening, but I do very much want to figure out why someone else would want this. The defense minister speaks up at this point and she says, that's not the full story, Captain. The rest of the mythology tells us that when the day comes where the orphan realizes the gods will not return, in her brokenheartedness, she decides to return to the world to die. 
and she takes all of the people there with her. There are some who are going to see you all as prophesies to come to destroy us all. The orphan is returning, and it coincides with your return as well. And you would have us believe that somehow you're not responsible, and that this other vessel you claim is up there isn't one of you? Again, I understand it's not the simplest explanation to fit the facts that you have in evidence. Alas, we don't have the luxury of parsimony at the moment. Why um, would the Tholians want this? Why would they involve themselves in the mythology? Up I, on I the look bridge. to Major Neil, actually, uh, most yeah. likely to have some sort of cultural yeah. studies in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Of, of all the people that have any kind of reference base of how Tholians think and feel, it's going to be you, Ambassador. I'd be happy to do a roll for it. What's that? I'd, I'm happy to do a roll for it. Yeah, do a roll for it. Um, I would say this would be an insight command check. Okay. And, and you can use diplomacy it. just from your, I would I say- I have anthropology just, and cultural studies, so. Ooh, cultural studies would be perfect. Yeah. Difficulty is two. Uh, may I roll a command okay. assist? Yeah, you can assist, yeah. And also take an extra die, Aki. Take a momentum, we have plenty. Okay. For an extra die. Sure. I shouldn't have taken the extra die. Uh, I rolled a complication and You're one success. Cautious? No. Oh, the ambassador isn't in Starfleet. Apparently on the, the Starfleet officers on our crew took cautious. Oh, <laughs> right. It's perfect. Oh. Uh, so uh, I got what one success. One success? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Ambassador, in all your time studying Tholians, the one thing that you know for a fact is that their, their motivations are incredibly difficult to pinpoint. But with one success, even though it was a failed check to see if you can guess what their motivation I, is, I'll I give assisted. you... I'm sorry? I assisted. It's a total of two. Oh, you got a success as well? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Okay, so two successes. All right, that's fine. But a complication? Okay, um, I'm just gonna go ahead and just for expediency, I'm gonna bank that threat. Um, so Ambassador, what you get from the motivations of Tholians is that their motivations are incredibly difficult to, to understand, but they're also very straightforward. It might behoove you to be the point of contact for them to try to mitigate what's happening right now. You are probably best equipped to deal with dis with uh, talking to them at this point. They haven't opened fire and they've given the Ross a chance to leave, but they've also used some pretty interesting key language coming out and accusing you guys of being murderers. Captain, I am not entirely sure The fact that they have not fired on us, the fact that they seem almost defensive of this planet, supersedes the notion that they would be the ones that would have purposely put this comet off course to destroy it. If they wanted this planet to be destroyed, they would just let the comet do its work. And if they wanted to chase us off, they wouldn't even have to try, they could just shoot us out of the sky and get their work done just as easily. 
the fact that they have my commander would give us a bit more of a fight there but i acknowledge the fact that they instead seem protective that concludes possibly some something else I, I can only assume at this point, but they're not the type of people that pussyfoot around something. If they want to do something, they do it, and they're very straightforward about it. The fact that they called us murderers is... Who have we harmed in their eyes? That's something that, if I could be given permission to, would love to. To try and determine. I think I might be best suited to be the one put in contact with them. Though I don't know if I would be effective down here doing that or if I could be taken to a comms relay here on the planet to do so. I, However, that would best be accomplished. I look to the High Regent and Defense Minister. Your uh, combat information center, your war room, any sort of communications array? Uh, yes, not quite as advanced as yours, I'm sure, but we do have the capability of communicating, yes. And at about that point, the defense minister stiffens and she says, we are not letting them into our situation room. High regent, that is unacceptable. I will, I will make many concessions. And I will even take leaps of faith, but that is drawing a line from me. With all due respect. Of course, but Minister Nobal, I, I must impress upon you the dire urgency of our situation. I understand that you do not trust us, and I understand that you are afraid for your people. And I deeply understand the inconvenience of this entire situation we are not we are not here to harm you i can't say it any other way than that we will do everything in our power to help you because we want to be your friends that is why we are here and i know that you don't believe me but i have no other choice but to insist upon my own honesty and hope that you will take just one more leap of faith so that we can save all of our lives because we certainly do not want to see your beautiful orphan destroyed nor your planet. Make a command presence check. Okay. And you can help your captain if you want. Um, difficulty... Um, What's up? Go ahead. Go ahead. Dif the difficulty here is going to be four again. No, I'm going to set it at three because you guys kind of whittled her down a little bit. All right. Um, I think I need, I think, first of all, obviously I have, um, I have diffused the tension. Right. That's right. I believe I'm that. going to use, I have the, so that gives me a bonus D20. Um, and then uh, I am going to also burn a value. Spreading peace and cooperation lifting us all up nice nice that definitely that will definitely and then of course apply. i have my and then i have my diplomacy focus so everybody hold on to your butts <laughs> my butt contributes one success okay cool uh 
no crits, but I have uh, three successes. Great. That's fantastic. And uh, plus the bonus too, so five for me. <laughs> okay. I have, I have my auto crit. Six total. Max All right, so... Momentum. Um, she visibly softens. And she says, Hi, Regent. If I agree to this, he says, if you agree to this, I will take personal responsibility. And she just says, if there's anything left of us, very well. Use our space for your communication. I will lead you there myself. But you must all come. I look to Dr. McCrub. Uh, though I do Where understand the value of the gravy boat. Uh, I'm sorry, crosstalk, what was that? Sorry, I was like, I just said, where else will I go? <laughs> uh, yes, the gravy boat. <laughs> Captain. Okay. Whatever security precautions you feel like you need to take, and in the meantime, I do strongly urge you to check with your geostationary satellites. You will at least find that there are two ships of very different make. Honestly, a basic telescope should find them. If that can in any way help as evidence that we are not here in cooperation with those whom we are talking about. Please. Okay. So y'all y'all are led into the situation room, which is essentially a long walk down these big crystal-like hallways where you see statues made of, of this darkened sort of, I would say like an opaque, but like a deep orange-like styled crystal, um, very earthy looking as you all move down the halls. Um, eventually you're led into a few chambers, winding, winding chambers um, as y'all are moving through this palace until you eventually reach a secured room that's also flanked by guards. It only takes uh, about maybe a minute or so to get to the room. Um, but upon entering, it is essentially a security complex. So as you walk inside and you see this place is fully staffed and you get the impression the moment you all walk in that the intelligence staff in here were not aware that they were being visited by extraterrestrials because everyone reacts rather abruptly. And the high regent raises his hand and say, everyone, please calm down. I know what this looks like. They are guests. I will explain later. We are under the highest protocols of hospitality. Does everyone understand? And there's this general murmur of just like shock and alarm and gradual nods as everyone stares and wonder and shock at all of you. Um, the defense minister is kind of who they look to, to see how she is taking your presence. With a stern face, she just approaches one of the communication arrays where you see another Jashashia look up, also in a very black, like dark, fine look fitting uniform, looks up and she just mentions to the young man and says, out of your seat. And he nods and takes this headset off that has this sort of digital display in front of an eye, sets it down. And she leans over to the computer and she says, give me full access to the satellite systems over grid 1239. And you see on the screen just as it appears on the screen, you see two objects in orbit. And she says, magnify that times 12. And you see it goes And there is the USS Ross. You see her in all her beauty being touched by a sunset off in the distance. And she is standing face to face with a Tholian dreadnought. 
you're actually getting a good look at the scale difference between the ships now that you can see them on the outside those frames are significantly different but you can actually hear the defense minister as her neck kind of cranes back and she goes gods that ship it's the size of a city <laughs> and you hear the regent go both of them <laughs> um the one on the left is yours. The good-looking one. The high region says, well, I would say those are definitely two different-looking vessels, wouldn't you say? And the high region just slowly shakes her head. Um, before we get to the communications that's about to happen, I need to roll for Lacat because she is with the science team scanning right now, the region of which this comet's going to impact. Um, so I need someone to roll um sensors plus uh science for the ross Can you grab that yeah sensor science and i buy a die for the cat yes mm -hmm. okay cool go for it also go, were go, we cool. doing the scan from the planet to the to the probe is that can that act uh, as yeah, a you're using, this is asset using probe yeah, this is using probe information and you are also scanning the planet itself but yes you're you're using I, the I, yeah, yeah. I, I meant the the the, the scan that uh, Captain authorized for Tech to do. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, good vessel. point. Thanks for reminding me. So, Tech, you are doing a scan using the probe's database. Is that correct? You're using the probe yeah. information. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then why don't we do this? Because this seems like a perfect time to be scanning the comet and that thing while also while hiding the transmission within that scan. Okay. So that we're scanning the comet at the same time as the other thing. So then Good I'm going to say, why don't we do this? Why don't we have Lacat scan of the planet, and then your assist will be essentially your scan of, of the probe tech and what you get in the comment. All right, so go ahead and make your roll. The difficulty of this is going to be three. So, oh, my uh, gosh, it's a Lacat scan. <laughs> <laughs> the Ross does give one success uh, Great. for that roll. And this was uh, control science for tech? Uh, control science, yeah. Um, Ravity is going to use Cautious and re-roll this die. I'm going to spend one to gain an extra die. Okay. Ooh. Two, three, three successes. Uh, that's four successes from uh, LeCat. So eight so total successes on this endeavor. Yes. <laughs> eight total successes. <laughs> Y'all are maxed I out and you've crew. got team information. All right, so while all, this conversation, while all this conversation has been going on, um, Lacat and Chief Tech have been vigorously sifting through data, scanning, referencing, looking at clues. Um, this is where we're going to leave off before we go to break. Um, as Lakat is scanning tech, you send a lot of the information from the comet over. So here's the thing about the comet. Here's what you learned about the comet. Is that up until about two weeks ago, the comet was on a completely different trajectory. But the probe mm -hmm. is actually sending back particles that you can actually track of how the comet was moved. Essentially, mm -hmm. the most logical assumption that you're able to make based off the evidence, given the fact that it was such an unnatural shift in orbit, is it's very likely that the Tholians tractored the comet into a new trajectory and are aiming it at the planet. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what you suspected. Yeah. Um, but the Tholians, if they have been here that long, they're definitely the culprits. But someone basically took this comet out of its normal trajectory, which was normally harmless, and actually put it in the path specifically to impact 
on that portion of the hemisphere. Um, that is where the cat focuses her scans to find out what's going on in that portion of the hemisphere. Her scans turn up elevated le le uh, levels of hydrocarbons and nitrates, which leads her to some pretty fascinating cross-references. And as the two of you continue to scan and go furiously, and she keeps asking for references with that many successes, the computer flags and highlights something under a security file that causes for uh, alarm. Um, and LeCat sees it and immediately reaches over to the touchscreen and drags it out in front of her and expands it right in front of you guys. And coming up on a hollow display at the small computer in front of you, the two of you stare dumbfounded, not necessarily sure exactly how to process what you're seeing or what necessarily it means or why the computer is flagging it. But you see hovering in front of you a three-dimensional model of the crystalline entity. Mm. And that's where we're going to go on a break. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> it's not muted. <laughs> I would I would have still said it. <laughs> what a still um, shot. I don't I don't like it when I conclude incorrectly, but holy crap. <laughs> so we went we decided to do our break a little late this evening because we got cut off. So we're gonna go and take a 10 minute break, grab a drink, um, use the restroom. We'll be right back in 10 minutes. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you in just a second. Welcome back to Clear Skies, everybody. We're going to go ahead and jump right back into the game to make up for some lost time. Where we last left off, LeCat and Tech were staring at a small 3D holographic projection of the crystalline entity that is just slowly spiraling and turning in front of them. Um, LeCat's eyes immediately slowly level at you, Tech, and she just says, what do you make of this? I... I don't know. I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, I've seen crystals before, but I, what is this? She taps a few buttons and you see coming up on the database in front of you. The crystalline entity, um, you basically get the full readout of this creature that was first encountered years and years ago by the Federation. Close to like 30 years ago, I think, or some so longer than that, actually. Um, the Federation has multiple encounters with it, and you, of course, read up on all the information about how it is responsible for the destruction of colonies. But you also read that it was destroyed in 2368, about 13 years ago, by the USS Enterprise. Um, the Enterprise D, specifically. And I, mean, I knew they did a lot of amazing things. This is just, I guess, one of the many. She says, this is so weird. I don't know why the computer is telling, give, flagging this. It does have a lot of similarities because oh. of the res, the residual energy signatures that are around the area where this comet would impact. But I cannot think of why. Well, I was cross-referencing it earlier with some of the crystals from the planet itself. I thought there might be some sort of connection that we would be able to find. When you were looking for a connection to the Tholians. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe we should look for a connection to the crystalline entity. Go punch it in. All right, so she's going to do another roll then. <laughs> I'll assist. And then I'll, I'll roll for Ross. Go ahead and roll for Ross. The difficulty of this is going to be three. Okay. And uh, computers. Yeah, standard roll, just like it was last time. So computer science. Um. Or 
sorry, uh, sensors, this is gonna be sensors uh, science, but for you, for for the Ross, it's gonna be sensor science. For you, mm -hmm. it's probably going to be, actually for you, it might be, oh, you know what though? I think for you, it would probably be control. I think for you, it'd be control science. Okay. And LaCat's gonna roll inside science. Cool. Okay. So we got one success from, or actually two successes from the Ross. Okay. And a crit from Tech, so two successes from Tech as well. Okay. Uh, she got one success, so that's plenty. <laughs> um, all right. So um, the two of you leaning in, going through the computer, um, as you are typing in information, you hear suddenly uh, Prawl just says, Captain, we're receiving a hailing. And then all of a sudden you hear coming through the overhead uh, that screeching noise and the voice of the automated, the computer translating it, USS Ross, you now have 10 minutes. And the cat, okay, and goes back to <laughs> typing away on the computer. The two of you managed to bring up some more information. After doing a quick scan and doing an insight check, Tech, you and LaCat are starting to detect something under the surface of the crust of the planet. Mm. There is what looks like some kind of pulsing energy coming from underneath the surface of the planet. And it is emitting powerful waves of electromagnetic energy. Oh, it uh, might have been the thing that masked the Tholian vessel because mm -hmm. its magnetic power source is so powerful that the computer almost mistakes it for another pole of the planet. This gives me an idea. I'm relaying this information over to the commander, of course, but if we can perhaps tap into the frequency of this electromagnetic pulse, it was enough to, to sort of cloak the Tholian ship, maybe we can sort of reflect it back and, and sort of either cloak ourselves or, I don't know, uh, figure out some reason that this the Tholians want to attack. Well, the cat looks at you and says, well, they were able to use the electromagnetic energy of this thing to sort of disrupt our sensors. The kind of way that, that ships like to, it's an old Cardassian trick too. Mm. They like to hide near the poles of planets because it becomes harder for sensors to pick it up. But if we're in full view, it won't matter. Hmm. Whatever this is. Sorry, so just, just, so, so Chief Tech, uh, there's been a lot of scans and a lot of information going around. Now, just to be clear, and also to Eric as well, the, the, mm -hmm. the hologram image of the crystalline entity, did that um, uh, appear to everyone or just science? It's, it's uh, just up in front of them right now on the desk, but these two have been going back and forth and you overhearing them getting like, hey, I need some information. <laughs> like the two of them turn and look at you and that's when you can see it. Great, give me the lowdown. What is, what do I know anything about crystalline entities? That's and if an, not, I'm going to do a quick download of that information, done. Now I know everything, let's okay. go. <laughs> All right, so you do a quick scan through the databases and yes, you managed to uncover the information. <laughs> LaCat says, yes, yes, yes. what we've managed to figure out is Tech was able to take the information from the probe and determine that the Tholians, I guess, somehow moved or maybe tractored the comet and aimed okay. it specifically at a spot in the Western Hemisphere. We scanned the Western Hemisphere and we started detecting 
traits. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, trace elements of of nitrates and, and hydrocarbons, and the computer began to flag uh, the crystalline entity as being um, in the database something that is usually, I guess, associated with this particular these particular trace elements being discovered. And so we were trying to figure okay. out. We were trying to figure okay. out why, and then, did you want to hear the rest of it? She stopped. <laughs> no, I don't. Captain. Yes. Um, Ambassador, um, this is going to be uh, a little uncomfortable, but I, I think there might be a call necessary immediately. Um, Maybe this is um, out on a limb here, but I think the um, the ambassador was right in, in zeroing in on calling us murderers, as our science and engineering um, staff have uh, zeroed in on a crystalline entity that may be at the core of this planet that they are trying to crack open like a big egg on Easter Day. And in the background, you hear the cat go, holy shit like she's also getting what you're going <laughs> and then immediately stiffens as she realizes she just swears right on the bridge <laughs> i said that too <laughs> um I think overhearing I the word murderer though um the the <laughs> the defense minister shifts her gaze and looks at all of you and says nothing Minister Nobal, I'm not entirely sure how to say this, but I think your planet is getting ready to have a baby. I beg your pardon? The increased tectonic activity you've been experiencing, the electromagnetic interference from the other hemisphere, there's reason to believe that that is a life form. And this particular life form would have a great significant importance to the Tholians who are crystalline entities themselves. They maybe see this as a, a relative or even a progenitor of their species. And so therefore they feel protective of it. The need to uh, make sure that it is, well, assisted in its birth, which is probably why they did aim this comet straight for your planet. I am a doctor and have, and have assisted with many births. However, I believe this is out of my expertise. I have never assisted in a planet birth. <laughs> um, you see her face is just awash with disbelief as she stares at you. And the Hyde Regent goes, huh, okay. Unfortunately, this is a baby that if it is to be freed is even less likely to be negotiated with than the Tholians up there. It will consume your planet and everybody on it. Uh, you see, he stares at you in abject horror for a moment. Um, moments, it, it just takes a few moments before the High Regent finally speaks up and says, I, I am, you're saying there's a creature about to be born from our planet that's going to destroy us all, and it has something to do with the comet and these other aliens that are in our upper atmosphere? I feel like the comet that you call the orphan is not actually the orphan at all, 
but it is what inside your planet that was left behind is, if that makes sense. No, I'm sorry. I don't follow any. No. <laughs> I don't understand anything you're all saying. The comet in and of itself may or may not be related to your planet. What it will do, however, is cause significant damage to the crust of the planet once it makes impact. That might in and of itself create an, 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 uh, an opportunity for the entity that is forming underneath the planet's surface to break free. And it will be hungry when it does. Uh, the cat pipes up at about that point and she says, uh, Commander Exio, um, analyzing the size of that it's comet, th that comet ratio to the scale of the planet itself is not going to be, I mean, it's huge. It's, uh, roughly, um, it's roughly the size of San Francisco. <laughs> um, Oof. so, uh, it would normally be a catastrophic event if it should impact on a planet the size of Earth. However, this is much more the size of, um, uh, what's that other planet in, in, in the solar system? A Saturn. Saturn. Yeah. Um, so it's still going to have a significant environmental impact. But um, maybe what we could do is find out if this creature is underneath the surface, where it is, and maybe we can find a way to give it an alternate food supply or help it in some way get loose without having to smash the planet open? But how do we do that without pissing off the Tholians? Put me in contact with them. Let me talk to them. Let me see if I can buy time. We need to coordinate with them. We want the same thing now. We want to extract the crystalline entity with as little damage to it as possible because by extension, that will maintain the security of the planet. Maybe that is something like beaming. Maybe that is something like offering an alternate food source. Nonetheless, we are on the same page. We open communications and you, Ambassador, convince them of that. Let me know when to make the hail, Captain. Ambassador? Whenever you're ready. Look to Prawl and Bren, whoever's at, who's at comms right now? Because that's usually- Right now it's Bren. Uh, I'm sorry, Prawl is at comms. Prom, Prawl, okay. Oh, I, I look at Prawl. Aye, Commander. Patching you in. Ambassador, you're on. This is Ambassador Majin Neal to the Tholian vessel in command of Osrax. It has come to our attention that there may be something on the planet that is of mutual interest to both of us. You and that you would like to see it freed from its current situation and us not only wanting to help accommodate that, but to somehow keep the entire planet from being destroyed in the process. We would like to assist you in this endeavor with as little life lost as possible. Um. There's a moment of quiet. And then a few moments pass and every screen in the situation room suddenly goes and goes to static for a second. And then popping up on the screen, you see 
the sweltering molten image of a crystal-like creature with burning glowing eyes appear in front of you. Um, Starfleet has seen the Tholians before face to face. Um, this one looks no different than all the Tholians you've ever seen. The only thing that's a little different is you see a few more shards of crystal like growing up around its head like structure. But if you've ever seen the images of the Tholian, there's almost this like beak-like aperture coming out to the front of their face, but their eyes are so molten, glowing so brightly that it almost masks the rest of the feature of their crystal-like form. But even on the screen, as the image is projected in front of everyone, you hear gasps of horror coming from all of the uh, Jashashia who are seeing a Tholian for the very first time, as it completely takes over the entire situation room here in the security complex. Every screen that is capable of projecting any kind of image is now suddenly projecting images of this Tholian's head um, as it basically broadcasts over everything. Um, you see this creature in the environment that it is in is just, it, it looks like the image you can tell judging from, I mean, you, judging from the fact that you already know exactly what kind of environment Tholians live in, um, you're reminded of how inhospitable their in their living environments are as you can actually see these waves of heat just like sweltering all around this tholian of over 200 degrees celsius inside that ship um <clears throat> the tholian's image appears in front of all of you and again you hear the like the horrified gasps of everybody <laughs> in in the vessel itself or in the in the room and uh in that moment, Ambassador, you hear this like screeching sound that the USS Ross's translation circuits are actually able to, their universal translator is able to grab hold of and sort of make as best it can. Because right now you're kind of doing a three-way call and the Ross is translating for you. Um, and so you constantly hear this high pitch, almost painful screeching in the background as the Tholian speaks. And you hear, this is Commander Vra Vorax of the Tholian Assembly. Your plans to murder another of our... It goes untranslatable. You just hear a screeching noise as the Universal Translator is actually not able to truly understand what the Tholian is referring to when it begins to reference the crystalline entity. And when that moment of the sentence comes to an end, the Tholian Commander continues and just says, you will now have five minutes to leave. We will protect the, and it screeches again, and it comes back with our lives. Your murderous actions are remembered. You have every right not to believe the words that I say, because I agree with you. The woman who killed the crystalline entity was indeed a murderer and took a life that need not have been taken. We have no such aspirations. It is our mission to seek out new life. It is our mission to preserve it. It is our mission to lift it up. And we would like to help you do that without sacrificing the life of the innocents on the Eastern Hemisphere who have no stake in this fight. We have reached out to each other in the past. We have established communications that were something resembling civil in the past. And I believe we can do that again now. Let us help you. 
there's a moment when the commander responds, you see the head kind of sway back a little bit. The screeching begins again, and the translation comes through. The people of the Eastern Hemisphere will be the food source for the baby as it is born. Their purpose has already been decided. What if we could provide you with a different one? One that would leave these people to live their lives and your child to thrive in their new one. Now it's time for your command roll. This is going to be your presence command check. Um, get ready, <laughs> Ambassador. You're talking mm-hmm. to a hostile, angry Tholian that doesn't trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, does it, does diffuse the tension come into this as a talent or? Yes. Yes, cool. I would allow go ahead and I'll take that extra die. I am going to set the difficulty at five. Mm. Is anyone I'm... assisting? What's that? Is Captain anyone assisting? assisting? So yeah, Captain. we can allow it. I'll allow an assist here. You just need to rationalize to me how you're assisting, but give me one second. So the difficulty is going to be set at five, and I'm going to drop four threat. threat. Right. Wow. Shit. Oh, I'm gonna drop four if we have enough to... momentum, we can undo that if we want. I was going to say, take at least three to buy two more extra oh. die. I, I love that you're all panicking, but let me finish. <laughs> so I'm going to drop four threat, and that is going to be specifically to increase the complication range to its maximum. No. <laughs> so that so means if I roll anything 16. over a 16. Yeah, anything over a 16 is going to be a complication. No matter I what am going to go ahead and take. Succeed. Yep. Okay. I'm going to go so ahead that's, and take. That's all I've got for you. So now make your calls and your spins and everything else. Sure. So I'm, I'm taking the extra die for diffuse the tension. I'm going to go ahead and spend three momentum to gain two extra die. Perfect. Um, I have focuses in diplomacy and negotiation, and I am going. Oh, I can't. I already did. Um, and then, yeah. Okay. Cool, 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 uh, cool And cool. I would like to assist a uh, green die assist. What is a green die assist? Uh, as opposed, uh, my, that's my uh, pheromone assist. So how is that going to assist the ambassador? Calm. Because You're going to use that. it to, to keep the ambassador calm and level? Yeah. Okay. Quick question. Yes. Is that going to affect everybody else in the room? Um, so it's an exponential decay because it's a uh, particle. So if I'm nearby someone, I, I think there's a much lower concentration that need be at play, particularly because as we discussed at the beginning of this particular little story, the two of us are particularly susceptible to this because we come from pheromonal races. Right. And there's also the fact that this is actually kind of how Orions deliver their pheromones to get uh, the effect. So. And it's in effect, like, this is really just soul being near them and physically present, and that also happens as a natural consequence. It's not like- Exactly, it's sort of a, it's sort of a biological response to Saul's natural, like, command calm, and that being exuded nearby uh, to the exactly. ambassador. Yep. So, okay, that's a great explanation. I will allow that. All right, difficulty okay. is five, y'all, with a max threat range. So go ahead and make your roll. 
So I rolled five successes and <laughs> I rolled uh, a complication. Okay. Yep, five successes because uh, I and, crit on one of and these. Azri got two. Did you natural crit, crit. I natural crit because there isn't a focus shit, for Holy shit, you guys. Don't crit. Yeah. Uh, I, got, I rolled a two and I was using a focus, so yeah, I crit. Oh. Good teamwork. But Four you got a complication? I did get one complication. I rolled a 17. Okay, what um, was that, Let's Bonnie? spend two and remove the complication. Yeah. All right, let's do that then. Spending, you're spending momentum to remove the complication? Yes. We're three. We're back down to three. Oh, there. That is perfect. Okay. All right. So, there is a long moment of tense silence. And Commander, on the bridge, you can actually, you're actually seeing the transmission as well. Um, the Tholian is probably only interacting directly with everyone down on the planet, but you're also picking up the transmission. So everyone on the bridge is kind of standing near you, watching with a bated breath to find out what the Stolian commander decides. And as this silence stretches on, you actually see a marker down in the corner that was set by Lacat, indicating that the timer has just run out. Um, and there's a long stretch of silence, this tense moment of dead silence, no screeching noises or anything, just the low sort of ambient rumble of the Tholian's ship and the auditory sensors are picking up what it must be like inside that hostile environment. And after a few long moments pass, this commander um, just says, what do you propose? We are currently working on an alternative source of food for your child. We will need your help to re-divert the comet away from the planet. If you can do that for us while we work on a source for your child, or if you would prefer us to have that source as proof to you of our good intent before moving the comet, we are happy to do that as well. Whatever it takes, There's a moment, again, almost like you're getting the impression that these beats between your your dialogue and his dialogue is to indicate that their universal translator is also processing what you're saying to them. And eventually the Tholian responds, the screeching noise across your sensors goes, screeching noise is not our child. The screeching noise, and then replaced with the words, is our, and then it's screeching noise again all the way across, like a long sentence of some kind, indicating who knows what. I and think that when it finishes- will probably infer. Can I do um, another cultural studies check now that I've had the chance to get, like talk to them a little bit to kind of see if I can pull any uh, any extra? Yeah, to see if your instinct, let, uh, hold on that roll real quick, um, because the, he finishes speaking and says, the creation of the screeching is imminent. Indicating that, like, if you're going to find a, an alternate food source, it better be fast. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say, the crust of the planet is proving difficult. We will be removing that obstacle to allow the creation to take effect. How do you propose we solve this issue without throwing the comet into the crust of the world? 
I am going to leave that to my very talented commander and the crew of the USS Ross. Lacat immediately looks over at you worriedly, Tech, when you hear the ambassador say this, like, oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Look in her eyes. (laughs) I walk over to the two of them specifically and put my hands on their shoulders. Lacat turns and looks at you. I think you will find them incredibly competent. If we detect any treachery, your vessel will be forfeit. Your lives will be forfeit. The city below will be forfeit. And you would be completely justified. But we will not help kill anyone today. The transmission ends. And all the screens return to normal and it cuts off. Um, Prawl from the security station says, their shields are still up, but they still have empowered weapons, Commander. And well, we've Captain, passed that afraid. ten minute mark. Well, Captain, I'm mm-hmm. afraid I just promised them the moon, so let's not make me a liar, shall we? Oh, fortunately not the moon. Fortunately just the planet. Salta Axio. <laughs> yes, Captain. I want full scans below the surface, estimating the size of the entity. I want Prawl to mock up least harmful extraction method phasers against the crust maybe cutting a hole think of like cauterization anything that is going to be less disruptive but we won't know more until we know the size of the entity and the tools at play maybe we can get some assistance from um the good doctor as i so elegantly heard you you call this a birth Yes. Maybe there are some specific incisions that you can assist, sort of like a planetary C-section. Yes, if I had the measurements of everything, um, we could definitely... Have we thought about possibly, Captain, using our phasers as uh, like a scalpel? <laughs> that is exactly what, what I'm hoping for from our Commander Prawl. Excellent. I would need to know how large the child is uh, in order to get the exact measurements, but I'm sure the science team can figure it all out. And if we can map the exact structure of the tectonic plates, we might actually be able to work with them, like uh, just lifting a piece of crust rather than cracking it. Also, It'll maintain the stability of the planet structure. If I may, Captain, uh, Tech here, uh, we are—we need to find a, another food source for this thing. I mean, I've been looking up on the crystalline entity. It's, it's not exactly good news for biology in general, <laughs> um, but we never really determined what the food source would be. The Tholians said it was the people, but it might not be because this disruption would certainly burn up any flesh. They wouldn't be able to taste anything. It would just be briquettes in space. So I believe that their general uh, food source tends to be anything that's biological. Plant life will also suffice. Are there any other planets in the in the system that could possibly help with this? Well, there might be some way that the Jashashians could help us. They have the technology to sort of um, anticipate particle fountains. And if that is a sufficient energy source, it might be something that could feed this crystalline entity. Oh, the database. 
Lacat speaks up and says, well, the, the database here says that the crystalline entity only feeds on organic material. Mm. But so if it, it can be lured with graviton pulses. We can move it where we need to get it. It was following. That was what the records said about it. That was the That's last true. thing that they were doing before it was destroyed. Which, oh, Captain, Lacat immediately eyebrows, <laughs> eyebrows, she's Cardassian, eyes <laughs> widen. <laughs> um, and she says, we should probably be careful. That's probably the way to get the creature out, but it's worth noting um, that, uh, and Prawl interjects and says, that's how it was killed the first time. We are telegraphing Tholian... everything we are doing to the Tholians. We don't fire a phaser at the crust until we have told them we are doing it. We send them all of our data about the graviton pulses and particularly about the effects by amplitude and the responding pulses that it gave. So it is meaningful nice. to them. It is nice. We are doing nice things for it. We are helping and we are not making any sudden movements. We are showing our work like a math worksheet. Can Does everyone I do understand? Can I do my cultural studies role now? Yes. And uh, as you're doing that role, um, real quick, Bonnie. Um, is this a is this a uh, control science? Uh, I'll give or one second. Sorry. Yeah, just one second, Bonnie. Um, just yes. to give you a heads up too, as y'all are planning this out, if you're going to have anything to do with uh, using a phaser to use an incision on the planet side, you're going to have to be on the ship for sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, for you, Aki, Olin is probably going to need to roll. Um, this would actually be. This might actually be an insight con check. Okay. Not my greatest roll, but we can we can work with that. Yeah, if you're what well, well, wait, I'm sorry. You're you're using the you're not using the computer. You're using you're calling upon your studies, right? Yes. Okay, and, sorry. And I the, forgot. You're actually the general observations that I've now made and and what I can infer based on our conversation despite the translator not being cuz I also have okay. a linguistics focus. So I can infer. Right. In that case I would say insight science. Okay. That's Difficulty two successes. Two. Sorry, that's three successes. Okay, three successes. So you're gonna mm -hmm. get bank one momentum, the difficulty is two. Cool. All right, so specifically, what was your question about the... Um, can I infer, based on our conversation, that they don't see this uh, crystalline entity as a child so much as like a progenitor or like a godlike uh, creature in within their... It much would like, seem that way. Much yes, like it, the, it... the Dashashians view the orphan as like a god in their culture, they the Tholians being crystalline entities themselves would view a crystalline entity as somewhat of a god themselves. It's possible. It certainly seems to infer that. Yes. It would for what it, it's difficult as always. It's difficult to really understand what a, a, the Tholians' motivations are, but it definitely seems like they have a reverence for this creature mm -hmm. for sure. And it's not it's not an outlandish it's not an outlandish idea at all. Uh, I think that uh, at this point, Olin might be like quietly, not necessarily laughing, but like sort of smiling and shaking their head to themselves. What an interesting <laughs> irony to use one culture's god to free their own. All right. 
And meanwhile, Sol will <laughs> look to the defense minister and the high regent because we are going to need as much existing geological data on this planet as Ryan Lee, sorry, as Tshashianly possible. Uh, we'll see to that right now. And the high regent snaps his fingers, and an intelligence officer comes over, and he just says something to him. The universal translator doesn't pick up all the words. But most of them, he just gets you get the gist. He's like, "Get me every piece of information that we've been collecting geologically for the past ten years since these events began." Um, and cross reference with uh, environmental electromagnetic transmissions as well. We know the increase in those is related to the crystalline entity's growth. Okay, so it sounds like you guys have a plan of action at this point. You've managed to establish. <laughs> against some pretty intense odds you've managed to establish a diplomatic conversation with one of the most difficult to discuss this one of the most difficult dip diplomatic races out there um and getting all the geological information coming in you do detect that over the past 10 years not only have they been detecting these seismic events becoming more and more frequent on that side of the hemisphere but they coincide with the death of the life that has been accumulating over on that side. Um, the crystal formations of the mountains have also grown by by about 70 feet in the past 10 years. Um, so the mountains have gotten significantly bigger um, over a gradual course of time, but it doesn't necessarily coincide with normal tectonic activity. So all of this is adding up and being like, oh my God, you're seeing this whole picture of how this, however the hell this entity got in there. You're also, it's also occurring to you, Captain, and the rest of the crew of the Ross, that the discovery that you have all made is absolutely astounding. You're literally logging what would be the birth of one of the most mysterious and presumed extinct entities that the Federation has ever come across in all of its years of space exploration since its founding. And you seem to have come across this creature as it's waiting to be born from the womb. How it got while there. doing first contact. While doing first contact. My ship is Eat the very, your very, very best out, ship. USS Enterprise. <laughs> so, in in the process of like discovering the fact that you've made contact with this other race, there's so many questions. What was the mating cycle? Does this thing spontaneously generate? Like, does are are planets like this specifically? prone to creating or generating crystalline entities. Lots of questions fluctuating around the ship as the scientists are working furiously to come up with some plots. Um, what I need to know now, as things are starting to unfold, is I need to know what you plan on doing about the food supply for the creature when it, it when it's exhumed. And it sounds like you're going to look, you're gonna make a scan to see if you can cut this thing free. You're also gonna have to, you're also gonna, if you're planning on stopping the comet from hitting, so let me go ahead and tell you this, the projections of the comet's impact on the planet are in fact catastrophic. Even though, um, even though the planet is large enough, it's not going to be anywhere near as damaging as it were if it landed, uh, say, on a planet the size of Earth. Obviously, the dispersion there is a much more acute space because it's significantly smaller, so the impact would be much more immediate, but scientific projections would show that over the, the course of the next 20 to 45 years life on this planet would change significantly and it might even cause the extinction of multiple native animal and plant life which would disastrously affect the jishashia um because they don't have the technology you guys do in environmental sciences and whatnot what's up baki 
You're muted. Uh, my question is, if we were, if do we have the time to change the direct trajectory right now? If we tried right now, would it still be successful? Or yes. are we already too late to do that? You, you could do it. Um, but okay. uh, you're going to have to, now that you have a plan of how to cut this thing free. So what I was going to tell you too, as part of this, you can, moving the moving the comet right now is totally possible with, uh, with the USS Ross. Um, it's, it's what it's, we do. We're basically a tow truck at this point. It, it's true. Real. Now, moving a comet that size with the Ross is not easy, but it's doable. The size of San Francisco, I mean, it's the size of a city, but the USS Ross is a scale six ship with a lot of power, a lot of power. So it's possible. Two warp cores. Um, so for the expediency of the narrative, after coming up with an idea, here's what you learn. Putting in plan the the putting in place the plan to cut this creature free from the planet's surface with a phaser is viable, because Prawl later reports after his initial scan what he discovers about the Ketikus, which is the Tholian vessel, is that it has about twelve tetrionic arrays across the sides of its ship, meaning that their weapon system is specifically designed to eat your shields alive. <laughs> Um, however, as a result of that, that energy drain effect of the Tetrion beams means that it doesn't quite have the power that a phaser does to cut through rock. Um, it's instead designed more towards the destruction of the essentially energy fields, as well as damaging the hulls of ships. Still powerful, still could destroy things, but it's not going to be like a scalpel, like a phaser. As a result, the Tholians resulted to throwing a comet at the planet because that was going to solve their problem right away. Now that y'all are here and you implement your plan, the Tholians seem to be willing to try. Um, in a remarkable moment of cooperation, the Tholians actually help you tractor the comet back into its normal trajectory. Um, hey! <laughs> and they are on stage... Um, as the USS Ross starts to putting itself into position for when you prepare to cut this thing free, um, waiting for essentially the planet uh, to come about um, as you guys are entering into orbit over that certain area. As you get into the area over the, uh, over the section where this creature is born, you can actually see visually from space, um, XEO, the surface of the planet there is cracking. You can see this like split just like starting to form across half of a continent. Um, it looks like the fault lines. We have grounding. Yes, I would say that's probably close to to to. That's a, probably a good explanation for it. Um, yeah. But you this can also This is a full detect... work analogy. We, we did a we did a sonogram. We're doing a C section. This is a full thing. Um, Thank goodness it isn't in breach. <laughs> but the USS Ross is also detecting powerful electromagnetic fields being emanated from underneath the planet. So this thing is just underneath the crust of the planet. So it's down there. It's about 16 miles under the surface. Um, and the planet's crust has thinned out, particularly in this section because of all the fault line activity. It looks like it branches up a little bit. Um, the entity does look like it's having difficulty. Now you're not actually able to get a good scan of the creature itself, but judging from what you're seeing, um, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a big baby, <laughs> about the size of a small mountain. 
but interestingly enough, you can't get a strong read on it because of the sensor uh, interference from all the electromagnetic pulses that are being generated from this creature. Um, but you are actually able to pinpoint where it's coming from. And the Tholians are near, but they're not doing anything. Um, everyone's setting up into position. Um, the next two tasks you have are cutting it loose and finding it food. What are you, what are you what's up, Bonnie? Uh, I was going to say I have a job for Chief Tech. Um, hi. Hello. Yes. So if we are going to have a C-section of a planet, we need to be very precise because any uh, miscut could be catastrophic. What I need is a hologram scale of the planet that I can cut with a laser scalpel that will ultimately connect with our phasers so it'll be as it'll be an uh, interface i get you yeah you want to boulders game it it's a bolian novel it's really good <laughs> uh, yes i need a planet to scale so i can surgery it here and while doing so we'll surgery it there that's how i say it. well i have great news for you since we've implemented all of these holographic uh interfaces into the ross we can have that right in the sick bay oh we're going to birth a planet i love it okay so lacat sets up along with vren helps set up essentially what's going to be the electromagnetic pulse that would sort of act as a beacon Using your modular bays, it doesn't take long for everyone to basically take some of the tech and move it into the sick bay and set up um, you, you <laughs> to, to, basically to paint this picture for you, Macrell, you are placed into these, you basically slide, slide on these very slender gauntlets that come over the claws of your hands that have like sensors across the fingertips area. Um, and immediately you see generated in front of you, um, one of the sick bay beds has been removed and in its place the science team along with the engineering teams have brought in a topographic map of the continent and a holographic projection is is brought up in front of you yes. um you also see on the view screen um not too far in front of you also getting telemetry on everything that happened is is prawl who's going to be managing the power levels of the phasers from the tactical station um and what is ended up becoming quite quite the operation you essentially get a holographic image that you can interact with and you now have control over the ship's phasers through through prawl to be able to do a more precise cut um the whole process takes about i'll say like 45 minutes to set up with the help of chief tech and of course mm -hmm. your favorite andorian assistant and then um prawl um yes. the uss ross spends a total time of one hour setting all of this up um, and when you're moved into position after now, keep in mind, again, once you cut this baby free, it's going to be a matter of trying to figure out where you're taking it. Yes. I'm mentally working on that. And I have a uh, request and orders to go out to the planet team and the science team. Once they've solved the first problem. Okay. One Thanks. incredible Herculean task at a time. At a time. <laughs> all right. Picks. All right. So, in position, 
what is the next move? Are you going to give the order? What is, what is what is the plan of attack? What's Ross doing now? Everything seems to be in position. If we have things in position, what I would ideally like are any of their planetary scans of M-class planets, N-class planets, L-class planets, and anything that ever has been. Because on Earth, where I grew up, they have dinosaurs and petroleum, which is itself an organic compound. You don't actually have to imperil living things. Any world that was once living, but is now dead, may still have those organic compounds, and organic matter is what this crystalline entity needs. Nobody has to die. Nothing okay. has to die. All right. Um... The, I'll tell you right now, the sensors on the USS Ross are not going to be enough to scan this section of the galaxy, hoping to find a life-bearing planet. You're going to probably need to launch probes and send them out in directions, straight up like star, like an Imperial Star Destroyer looking for Hoth. We have probes <laughs> and we have shuttles to further maximize our searching opportunities. We can pair that against all of the scanning data that Yugos's team got on the way to the particle fountain, which is not even near here. So anything they got on the way, we might get to. Their scans aren't great, but we are taking what we can get right now. They also have a whole history of, of scan materials in the area because Lord knows our modern telescopes find all manner of things. Call the Homer, a warp-capable society, should have even more intense uh, telescopes. Let's hope the dice agree with you. You make a good uh, but case. What if the we create an advantage <laughs> to aid that? Because that feels like a good use of our momentum right now. So I think we should. All right. So this is actually going to be an extended task. Um, so explore, but very quickly. Explore, but very quickly. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you guys are pretty much going to have to do this. I don't want to say slapdash. You got to do this pretty fast. So here's how this is going to work. Um, so you're going to need, so the difficulty of this is going to, oh man. Um, so the work track on this is going to be 15. The difficulty for this is going to be three, but the resistance is also going to be three. <laughs> Am I right to assume that everyone is back on the ship at this point? Um, yeah, or I'm assuming you guys are coming and going. At this point, the whole operation is about getting this thing. So if you want to say the away team has come back and is coordinating planet side, that's totally acceptable. Yeah. Um, basically, was whether or not I was still communicating. Yeah, Exia, and, I trust you. Com I trust you completely. If you want to be running the bridge, I can coordinate things from the planet. But if you want me, yeah, I would. I would be staying on the planet, trying to sort of like get the defense minister and the the high regent sort of like making sure that coordinated coordination on our side was was going as smoothly as possible in tandem with the captain. Um, and then we're definitely not having you behind, so. I need yeah. to go back to so the ship. you're still on the planet, Captain? McCrell, you're on the ship. You'd have yeah. to be on the ship to do yeah, this. Yeah, you definitely. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, no train left I, behind, yeah, just... so I'm staying with the Olin. 
Okay, and um, any and and obviously continuously relaying anything you need on our end is at your obvious disposal. Myself yeah, I think, included. Uh, I think probably uh, notorious jury rigger Azari has set up a little bit of a relay out of some of uh, the available just to facilitate that process. Not anything too invasive, but just make this whole thing run a little bit smoother, eh? Um, I haven't finished giving you the stats for the roll, by the way. Um, the magnitude is five. <clears throat> you are searching for a needle in a haystack and you're doing it under pressure in a timed roll. So. Can we use the, um, uh, the aquatics lab, the, um, uh, the Dr. Dr. Yada could definitely help you. You can have the cetacean ops assist with this role. This Celestial a- navigation in deep space uh, ast- astronomy is literally his purpose. <laughs> it's what he does. So um, I'd, I would say yes, that's an assist from Dr. Yada, which is significant because uh, he is uh, he is a mid-maxer when it comes to this kind of shit. <laughs> you can say, uh, as Tech thought of it and contacted Dr. Yada, LeCat was already like halfway into the tank. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll say this. So coordinating down, LeCat walks into Cetacean Ops on Deck 13. Steps in there. Um, the ambient sort of blue glow that beautiful like light marbled effect in the room as she walks into this area that is half corridor half tank and then the rest is all uh, ops moving into cetacean ops you see all these computer uh the cat sees all of these computer consoles on the inside of the tank and a lot of the odanians interacting with um with a lot of these computer consoles using their the devices that they actually have, those little like metal strips that they have kind of on the sides of their head that allows them to interact uh, mentally with a lot of these uh, computer systems, including like charting courses and moving around celestial navigation. They've been taking a keen interest in the things that are going on um, down here. And as the cat moves into the space, Dr. Yada, one of the largest of the cetacean officers, uh, spots her and like bobs his head as he shifts his momentum and swims up to the glass and kind of brings the entire length of his body up against the glass and hovers there for a minute and sinks down. Um, and LeCat um, says, Chief, you're you're on with me and uh, Dr. Yada. I'm down here in Cetacean Ops. And you hear immediately the calming voice that Yada has chosen for himself. You just hear, hello, Chief Tech. We have not interacted very much since our journey began. How are you? Oh, Dr. Yada, I'm sorry, that's that's mostly on me. We'll 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 get back on to that uh more social stuff after this. I got a real pickle for you, huh? I gotta send this over to your tank. Uh we're gonna be looking for any sort of planet that has any sort of biodegradable or biological life form. Uh, uh sort of in the area and too sweet. Did that translate? It did. I had a moment where I had to figure out for myself that your sentences had periods, but I did find them. Uh, oh, well, good. Um, well, so, uh, do you think anything showing up on your, uh, on your maps? On my maps? It might take something of a moment. You are asking us to scan for any inhabited worlds filled with life? 
Well, we're looking to feed a crystalline entity, which uh, I don't know if you've been appraised of the situation, but we're giving birth. Yay. Um, And so we sort of need something else to feed it besides the inhabitants of this planet. So anything that would be comparable, but less sentient. Less sentient. I see. We are put in a very difficult position right now, aren't we? A pickle. Interesting. So... It is up to us to find a world that is filled with life to feed a very large creature that is known for exterminating all life. Yeah, you could put it that way. Hmm. This is going to be one of the most challenging things I have ever been asked to do. Are you up for it, Doctor? Of course, of course. And I'm assuming the Captain, of course, has given the go-ahead on this, which means the Captain knows what they're doing. I have to assume that we will be seeing to it that we don't harm any civilizations. What we're asking for now, Dr. Yada, is options, honestly. Right now, if we do nothing, this planet will be the food source. So any alternative would be welcome. See, very well. Let me see what I can do. How much time do we have? We don't. I see. Yeah. (laughs) Very well. And who will be assisting me? Well, the cat's there, huh? Ah, we get to work together at last. And the lieutenant smiles. And Dr. Yada says, very well, we shouldn't waste any more time then. Let us begin. I assume you are sending out probes? Yes, absolutely. We'll be transmitting that telemetry to you uh, as soon as we can, uh, and as soon as they get set in place. Very well. This is a very stressful job. (laughs) Very stressful. And his head bobs, and he swims back over to one of these holographic projections of what looks like, it looks like Citation Ops officers have been in the process of mapping all of the USS Ross's movements through the Shackleton Expanse. And you can actually see these little pulses emanating from your paths that you have traveled. They've been mapping out um, the varying frequencies of all these uh, spatial anomalies that you guys have going been going past. Um, as the Odanian swims up to this holographic projection and settles there, you see the rest of the Odanians also swim up um, and begin essentially squeaking at each other and speaking to each other in a language that even the Federation at this stage in its scientific like exploration of how these species talk to each other hasn't really been able to fully understand, despite the fact the Odanians attempts to explain it to them. Um, as they talk back and forth, we're gonna make um, we're gonna make a roll, but this is essentially to set up. Um, I'm gonna give you a chance here, Tech, to build the probe um, before we launch into this. So, mm-hmm. um, but why don't we do this? Why don't you go ahead and make a roll? This is going to be an engineering. This is gonna be a control engineering check, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the difficulty is going to be three. Okay. I'm gonna definitely spend down to one momentum. So I'm, uh, and then yeah, okay. Difficulty is gonna be three, and you're gonna be assisted by Dari. Great. Um, so go ahead and make your roll. She's gonna roll hers as well. 
Okay, okay. Okay, Two you got a success. Did you get a success? Two. Two? Okay, cool. So it takes you guys about about 30 minutes, just piling on all of this time as you are reprogramming multiple probes, going through all the computer systems for a deep space um, scan and returns. The problem is going to be the fact that there are no subspace relays here in the Shackleton Expanse. Mm -hmm. So these probes are going to be sending out subspace pings back to the Ross. Um, but here's the thing, is that the Jishashians have already sort of utilized subspace technology. They understand it in a different way. They don't have... Can... That, oh, that's correct. That is true, yes. Yeah, so we're going to utilize the sort of archaic technology, archaic in our eyes, that already exists within orbit. So... Utilizing what the Jashashians know about how things interact before they erupt into subspace, taking some of that to theoretically craft probes that can actually communicate much quicker to the Ross as they fly into deep space. You're literally programming these things to fly at low warp outside the system and transmit back um, for this extended task. Um, as these probes fire off, one, two, and they launch, they just... The Ross sends out 10, 15 probes total. Your probe supply is literally just, you're, the, the, you're having to replicate new scanners to actually insert into the torpedo tubes to send out these new probes. Um, Future Sol's problem. Yeah, so it takes about another hour um, launching probe after probe after probe, making sure its trajectory is correct and relaying information back. And the clock begins to tick as down below on the planet, the surface begins to rumble and you start detecting all of this seismic activity as this electromagnetic pulse spreads throughout the upper atmosphere of the planet. Um, everything and the sensors, everything that you guys have learned is indicating that this creature is ready to emerge. With this Tholian tarantula dreadnought bearing down on all of you and the clock ticking, that is where we have to end tonight's episode. Smooth and uneventful, wouldn't you say? Yeah, cliffhanger. <laughs> Yo, labor takes a long time. We'll probably get to it by the end of the week. It's a very big baby. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I, I have I to have tell you something. I have down Tholians. You did it. As, as your GM, I just want to tell you guys how impressed I am because not only did you guys do some spectacular rolling and great role playing tonight, but you unraveled the, the mystery so quickly. Yes. And not only did you unravel it quickly, but you nailed it like yes. bullseyed exactly what was happening. That's my favorite um, part. Can I, can the I moment Exio was like, Eric? the moment Exio was like, I think a planet's having a baby. I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe <laughs> they just nailed the shit out of that. But yes. Can I, can I, can I, can I admit something to you, Eric? I What's actually. Up? I want to write, I want to read you what I wrote down in my notes the moment you even mentioned the crystalline entity. Okay. The aliens likely see the crystal entity as a progenitor of their species. They, they are trying possibly to free the foundling entity forming in the crystalline structure in the planet's western hemisphere. Nicely I wrote done. that down before you even started explaining it because I am a complete nerd for the crystalline entity. It is my <laughs> favorite, favorite thing. It's All right, calm down, down Data. Yeah. <laughs> and we only had a mention of it in Shield of Tomorrow, but now you guys are going to have an encounter. Ooh. I love the crystalline entity. Y'all don't understand. <sighs> I've had a lot of encounters with crystalline entities in other games. We, we, will, well. we will love it cautiously from a distance uh, because this is its whole 
own thing. But yep. again, future the Ross crew's problem. This week, Ross crew, best crew. <laughs> also, thank you, Bye, Eric, man. for Bye. setting up an amazing and elaborate puzzle for us to solve. Yes. Because that's amazing that too. That was fun. No problem. Um, as, we, as we wrap up this episode, it's nice to get, guys, this is our first, I mean, if you don't mind me saying, this is our first real mission. You know what I mean? Like we did the rescue mission, but this is our first mystery mission. So it's been really fun to like get back into it. So thank you so much. Um, on that note, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up here tonight. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to Clear Skies this evening, everybody. Uh, thank you for being patient with us when we had our tech difficulties. Um, we'll have Rave back next week. Um, and Rave is going to be so furious that they missed all this great sciencing, but they're very needed because next week is basically LaCat working side by side with her favorite cetacean. <laughs> so in the think tank. Um, yeah. So it'll be good. Um, so we will catch you on next week's episode, everybody. Thank you again so much for joining us here at Streampunks and Q Times. We will see you then. Until then, hailing frequencies are closed. <laughs>